of two eyes, huh? Do you understand the game a bit? Yeah, have a look. I'm not saying anything to you in particular because I know you're not too accurate with your reporting. That, that's what okay, you're paid so you're for. Saying it. I should resign. So you're saying I should resign. I think that's you should, your opinion. Yeah. Is that right? That's my opinion. Fine. Are you going to resign then? No, of course I'm not going to resign. I simplify things next time. <laughs> Hello, everybody, and welcome to what is TNC the Ring-ins edition. There is no ticker among the other hosts, so basically it's just down to me to keep everything in check today. I've, I've called upon two people who certainly have plenty of ticker. You know, it was last minute, but we're like, look, who's next on the depth chart? We had to we had to make sure we were bringing in, you know, the worthy people to fill the shoes of the likes of Joey, Josh, and Nick Stoll as well. Nick Stoll um, over in Europe at the moment. Joey and Josh, just on a serious note, not able to join us. So today we've brought in Ben Smith from WA. Obviously, he was on the show quite a while ago, Ben, but welcome back. It's great to have you back on board. Thanks, Nick. It's uh, great to be back. I noticed uh, Young Boy has actually uh, surpassed me in the TNC Friends of a TNC podcast power rankings uh, over the last uh, couple of months. I wasn't even so. aware of that, so <laughs> I'll take it. It's, I'll it's, it was. Uh, it's it's literally just a list I've been compiling. Like, don't worry about it. We don't need to go into detail about it or anything. But uh, you don't yeah, need to great send to be back. to the Google Sheet or anything. It's fine. It's fine. Yeah, yeah. I, I've just airdropped it into the uh, private chat, guys. So. Uh, <laughs> Uh, well, but yeah, no, great to, great to be back, Nick. No, sensational. It's great to have you on, Ben. Obviously, great timing to get you on as well. We'll talk a little bit about all the, the excitement heading over to Perth uh, this weekend with the, the, the Premier League friendlies. But of course, we're joined as well. We have to have another Melbourne representative on the show. So we've brought in Lockie Youngboy Flanagan. Uh, Lockie, welcome. Good to have you back on board. Thank you. It's a, it's a pleasure to be, uh, to be called into the fold as an injury replacement player. Um, Look, I, I'm glad to be here, but I, I feel like we could have seen this coming to an extent. That some of the people, the regulars of this show, have been performing at like pretty high, like their ex ticker per ninety score versus their actual ticker. Like Joey flying to and from New Zealand, to and from the Shadow Realm. Like eventually, it's going to catch up with you. So he's been overperforming his ex ticker per ninety, and it was it was bound to fall apart eventually. And yeah. uh, I, I think I speak on behalf of both Ben and I when I say I'm. Happy to pick up the pieces. Can I well, just, as we, two things. Sorry, go on, Ben. Can I just say, Nick, two things. First of all, I like how we're all uh, like color coordinated for those of us watching yeah. the screen. It looks like we're, <laughs> yeah, it it's, uh, you know, this, this, yeah, this is like gold beige. Yeah. And Lockie yeah. looks like he's got a beige yeah. jacket on. This is, this synergy, this chemistry here, you, you can't make that up. Uh, that is, that's a very good sign for this podcast. And, uh, you know, I think this podcast actually has a bit of a, Crystal Palace vibe about it and that you know we've basically got a bit of a split squad you know they've we've got a first teamer in Nick here and me and young boy you know not really we don't always get our chances but just like Patrick Vieira with his Crystal Palace squad in Australia we're getting a tap on the shoulder some people couldn't be here hey guys you're gonna have to step up and uh yeah hope it goes well I mean yeah, basically is everything sorry, sorry Lockie. Is, is everything right internally at the uh you know the, the TNC head office is there like intense like boardroom debate going on do we need to appoint like a a chief ticker officer like to sort out (laughs) the great ticker crisis of july 2022 we may need to employ a cto as you mentioned Lockie. maybe that's the uh maybe that's the move maybe we need like an independent review maybe you two from the outside need to come in and do a bit of an analysis into the into the ticker department because nick stole the uh the tnc principles 
Yeah, we haven't seen Nick Stoll once uh, since he's gone to Europe. Uh, he says he's got plenty of ticker. He saw Josh jump on the road. When he was on the road in Port Douglas, you know, campaigning, he still ma- managed to find time to jump on. Uh, Joey is actually mate, just literally landed from New Zealand. So, like, just logistically doesn't really work for Joey. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it's it's sort of fallen this way. But today there was a little bit of a moment where I was actually on my way to work. I was on my way to, to cover the Carlton GWS game today. And I thought to myself, oh my God, I think I'm, it might be a one-man show tonight. I think I'm going to have to do this solo. And then, you know, I, I kind of sent the message. I'm like, anyone else coming on? They're like, nah, sorry, Cart. Nah, sorry, Cart. So then I was like, got to call in the, t- got to call in the next best, the next best two as well. Um, as well, not, not, not disrespect to everyone else, but we had to get the people in for this moment. So Ben, Lockie, great to have you in today. I, I really appreciate you guys coming on last minute as well. I would Pleasure. have loved just a one-man Debano show yeah, where he's just what I was gonna goes say. off on a tangent. Like I mean, that's actually what the people want, I believe. Yeah, that that is a credit to you, Nick, that you have put your own ego to one side and resisted the urge to just do a full-on state of the nation two-hour TNC Mickey Mouse flags yeah. in the background. You brought other people in. That is testament to you, mate. Testament to you. Look. I, I literally could have done a, a two-hour edition on the state of Italian Serie A, and you know, people have been in group chats with me. When when that when those can of worms get open, it becomes you know a, a lot of voice messages, a lot of chat about you know the state of play over there. It probably would have become something like that. But anyways, um, just we of course before we get into our first topic being the friendlies, a lot of stuff asking about where were we running a bit late. Of course, that is in the TNC. DNA, as Runda Mean said, yes, of course. Uh, Skip Fulton, are we seriously waiting for Dubano to get home from the MCG so the show can start? No, Skip, I wasn't able to get to the MCG. Considering we've got a Collingwood and an Essendon fan on this podcast, this isn't a footy podcast. Um, this does, uh, I, I, I have to bring it up, Lockie. Like, you know, that was a, a sensational, <laughs> sensational game at the MCG today. Um, you know, so commiserations on the defeat, considering your messages to me during the game were varying from there's no game of footy on today in the first quarter of like, oh, is there f- there's no footy on today. See, in the second quarter, you saying, oh, turns out there's actually a game to your third message being uh, in the words of David Davudovich, they're up and about. And then after that, complete radio silence, just like, you know, good stuff. You know, like you took it yeah, well. I think I, 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 earned, I earned that one. I earned that one. If, even though in the heat of the moment, I literally pulled over on the I got off the freeway and I literally had to respond to Lockie and Demir Kulash, who sent me red and black emojis prior to that, <laughs> just to all turn around and just say, get one up here, you know? So it was, a, it was a good little moment. But anyways, let's get into the show. Let's get into our first topic. That being, of course, the end of the Premier League tour down under. It all came to an end last night. Um, since the last time we've been on the show, we had, we've had had four friendlies, one in Melbourne on Tuesday night between Manchester United and Crystal Palace. We had the game up in Townsville on Wednesday between Villa and Brisbane. Then, of course, Leeds versus Palace and Manchester United Aston Villa over at Optus Stadium. Ben, before we get to you with Perth, lock in, uh, I want to ask you, considering we're both at the game on Tuesday night, just some final thoughts I guess, on how things wrapped up here in Melbourne. I guess quite a convincing win for Manchester United. But just in terms of the whole tour of, of Australia and the Melbourne leg, I guess, what were your thoughts on the whole thing? Uh, I don't know. Not, 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 not to lean into the, the, you know, the sceptical zeitgeist of, of TNC so, so quickly. But I, I do have very mixed feelings about these, you know, these international friendlies and, and, and where the people are, are always 
getting bang for buck. But to be honest, to be honest, I will say in terms of the actual football that was played between Crystal Palace and Manchester United in particular, look, as you said, Nick, when when you were wrapping up the game at full time, it it was a nice fun night at the Calcio, but I don't think too much needs to be dug into in terms of the the significance of the actual football on offer or, or what it all means other than that very saucy goal from Manchester United, which I did enjoy. I, I mean, I thought really that the more fascinating elements were what actually sort of accompanied the game off the pitch, uh, particularly that incident with uh, with Harry Maguire, Nick, the, the, the booing. I found that very... Very intriguing indeed. I'd be interested to uh, to gauge your thoughts as someone yeah. who was there hearing the uh, the cacophony of booze. Um, I thought that it was it was very strange, but then there was a part of me that wasn't surprised. Like it almost felt like it was a bit of a meme, and it caught mm-hmm. everyone a little bit off by guard, especially sort of the the traveling media. Um, I didn't read into it too much because it died off as quickly as it started. Like there was a few real vociferous boos with his first maybe four mm. or five touches. And then as the game went on, they just died off. I felt like just people, it's almost like, I don't want to sort of direct correlation to the the C chance at the Australian Open. And we have during, you know, Nick Kyrgios matches down here and everything, but it was just kind of like a bit of a meme because Harry Maguire yeah. is ostensibly a bit of a meme amongst some circles, you know, and amongst the younger demographic that were there, they probably, you know, Thought it'd be funny if we boo Harry Maguire, but to be honest, it was a bit. I don't know. I I don't think there's any any point in doing it. I thought Harry Maguire actually played a decent game in the end. Uh, I know it was coming up yeah. against a second string Palace side, but by the time he actually had a chance on goal, he was get, getting some quite loud cheers inside the MCG, and um, you know, so it was good to see that it wasn't you know that wasn't sort of something that carried on. It was kind. It happened, and it was done just like that. But it was it was a little bit weird at the start. But yeah, I just thought it was a bit of a meme. Yeah, I mean, I, it was interesting because a lot of the the comments, you know, the, the the Twitterati at the time as it was happening were like, oh, this is disgraceful. Like, I can't believe Australian football fans were doing it. I mean, it seemed as well that some of the um, travelling journalists as well from the UK that had seen it um, seemed a bit taken aback as well. But I think also you are right, Nick, in the sense like, there's an element of uh, leaning into the meme with this sort of thing. And I think uh, as well what's worth considering in the way that fans here might approach that sort of thing is not everyone who's a Manchester United fan or not a Manchester United fan is what most people are in this community, the kind of, uh, you know, hard nuts who are getting up at the, in the middle of the night to watch every single game and actually critically evaluate the, you know, the performances of all these players. Some people's connection to their support of Manchester United is they wake up in the morning, they see their team's had an embarrassing result and Lad Bible has posted some, you know, compilation clowning Harry Maguire. And that informs their opinion. And, and as you said, at some point, it does just become a, a joke. So disappointing to say, but it, it, yeah, it didn't last too much longer than that. And yeah, I thought it was a, a relatively entertaining game. Uh, it had a European-sized crowd, not a European atmosphere. Um, but yeah, that, that, that was about it. That was about it. Ben, what were your thoughts on it? Well, it's actually really interesting. Uh, Eric Ten Hag got asked about it uh, in his pre-game press conference uh, in Perth on Friday, um, and you know he kind of you know kind of dismissed it. But it does. I do tend to agree with you guys that 
uh, I feel like it's a bit of a meme. Like booing Maguire has now kind of become so uh, you know prominent on Twitter. Um, you know, it's such a big talking point on social media. Um, and I think that, you know, like you said, a lot of, I guess, theatre goers, you know, you bring a good, good point with the Australian Open and the uh, Ronaldo, uh, you know, celebrations and the fact that, you know, that was uh, getting attention. And uh, I, I just feel there's a lot of people who go and boo Harry Maguire because booing Harry Maguire is a thing, irrelevant of how he's playing. Um, it was very weird at uh, the game yesterday against Aston Villa when Maguire's game, uh, name got announced pre-game. There was this weird like half cheer, half jeer. It was like mm. it started off as a bit of a jeer and then people started, more people started cheering. So mm. it was kind of like, it feels like there's a, my, there's a very vocal group who are just booing Harry Maguire for the sake of booing him. I personally think that it's pretty rubbish to boo a player in preseason after one. I know he was, I know Maguire wasn't great last year. Um, you know, I, I know that he is, you know, probably overpriced, although I think a big part of that is the fact he is English and was brought by mm. an English team. But booing someone in preseason just because, like preseason is meant to be a clean slate. Like we talk about this all the time, like new season, you know, forget coaches tell players, forget what happened last season, new seasons ahead of us, you know, clean slate, all that stuff. Uh, and I get that, you know, fans have long memory, but I just don't get people who are coming to Manchester United games in Australia and booing Harry Maguire. It makes no sense. And also I thought he was pretty good last night. I had a very good header, uh, expertly palmed away by, um, by Martinez in goal, and uh, and then made an excellent tackle on uh, Leon Bailey uh, with the game at two one yesterday. Leon Bailey was absolutely excellent for Arsenal. I'm sure we'll get to that uh, mm. in a bit, but uh, yeah, no, it was. Um, I fought Maguire, and he handled himself quite well during the week. Maguire at the open training, and uh, even I was uh, sent by work to uh, uh, be at Man United's hotel when they rocked up. Um, we had a photographer there. Someone needed to write the picture, uh, the words to the pictures, and. Um, Maguire was one of a few United players to actually, you know, he was ushered inside the hotel straight away, but a lot of people yelled out, you know, Harry Maguire, Harry, Harry. And he was you know, one of a few players along with Bruno Fernandes, David De Gea, Eric Ten Hag to actually acknowledge the crowd uh, of people who had gathered outside a, a, a hotel in Perth at nine o'clock at night on a Wednesday. So, you know, I thought that was pretty good. And I think he carry, he's carrying himself the right way if he wants to win over fans uh you know who are who have been you know probably a bit too harsh on him yeah I, I think just just wrapping up Tuesday night I think you know from a whole spectacle point of view I mean getting 75,000 to the MCG on a Tuesday night I think for two teams like Manchester United and Crystal Palace I think he's a big tick um mm. you know there were a lot there were some comments from people saying oh but you know the MCC was empty this that but there's one thing we've got to remember is that crowds at the moment you, it's hard to expect a full house anywhere at the moment in, in Australia post-COVID, um, especially, you know, for both those games, as we spoke about a couple of weeks ago in regards to the lack of promotion, in regards to the games that felt like the promotion really only started to slightly ramp up the week of the Melbourne Victory Friendly. Um, I think getting 150,000 people through the gate between the two games was fine. Like, we're not going to expect an atmosphere like old Trafford, like I think some might have expected. I don't know where they were pulling that from because we know that majority of the people that were going were theatre goers. Um, you're not going to expect, you know, 
thousand people at full time singing "Glory, Glory, Manchester United." Uh, it's just that's a preseason friendly for you, and I think that. You know, in the end, I think when you, it, it's hard to kind of look at the football on display. Like you can look at individual moments, you can look at some passages of play and go, "Yep, yeah, that looks good." Because there were some moments for Manchester United looked really good on Tuesday mm. night. Like Lockie, you spoke about that second goal. That was just brilliant football. I mean, even the first goal was really nice. Um, some of their passages from defence to, to attack were really, were really, really well done. And Anthony Martial's form has been sensational as of late as well. Um, but I think that the fans in particular, I think the one thing with preseason friendlies as well, fans, if you put it from their point of view, is you want to see as close to a first team as possible. I mean, a lot of fans were disappointed pro Manchester side fans that Cristiano Ronaldo wasn't there and didn't play in either of the games, which, I mean, it's fair enough because it is Cristiano Ronaldo. And a lot of people, if they're just not even Manchester United fans, they're Ronaldo fans. Like there are people, it's like being a LeBron James fan. You follow Cristiano Ronaldo, like some people follow LeBron James. Some people follow Lionel Messi in that same way as well. When he moved to PSG, similar sort of stuff, but to a different extent. Um, so I think the fact that United fans were able to see, if it was for 45 minutes in each game, kind of, you know, a bit of a, a, a full strength 11 for that period and see some really impressive stuff from some of the young players, I think they'd be quite happy about it. So um, I think overall, when you look at least the Melbourne leg, I think it was a success in terms of the... The, both the events. Um, obviously, we'll talk a little bit about the off-field stuff with a certain object um, that we, you know, obviously that has caused a little bit of a stir amongst the football community. But I think overall, um, it was it was fine. I think it was fine for what it was. And I think that, you know, hopefully down the track, we could start to see more teams come out, you know, see some other teams that we haven't seen down here. I know, speaking as a as an AC Milan fan, I would oh. love to see more Italian teams down here. But I'd love to see AC Milan down here just in general <laughs> because they played the Socceroos down here many times in the 90s. Like, they are a team that have come to Australia and have a big following down here. I'd love to see a team like Inter. I'd love to see maybe even a team like Chelsea or Arsenal come down again as well. Like, maybe just varied up a little bit and see this a little bit more often. But moving away from the theatre-going Melbourne point of view, um, just a quick one. Did anyone catch the Brisbane Raw-Aston Villa game up in Townsville? And what were our thoughts on it if you did? Because, again, very small crowd up in Townsville, which you can expect. I mean, it was a Wednesday night. It was in Townsville. The game wasn't great. Uh, any thoughts on that before we move on to Perth? I did not watch it. Uh, <laughs> I was uh, in the midst of uh, EPL teams arriving, I think, when that was played. Uh, by, like you say, Nick, I, by, by the sounds of it, it was a pretty terrible crowd. It feels like one of those, if a tree falls in a forest, uh, does it make a sound sort of thing? Um, is, is anyone in the, did anyone in the comments see it? Maybe we should just uh, th yeah, throw this uh, segment well, over to our loyal listeners. I I did see it, but I've got to be honest with you. I don't know how much there was really to, to take out of this game. It was not a particularly engaging, engaging contest. I mean, there are a few chances in either direction, uh, we got to see Charlie Austin in a Brisbane Raw shirt for the first time. That's probably the most, you know, irrespective of the result in the actual match, which, to be honest, not a lot to write home about on either account. I think th the fact that Charlie Austin is out there on, on the pitch, probably the, the the most important part. And and the fact that we got to see, um, uh, Je uh, just to lean into the, the young boy roots for a second, to, to see Jez Lofthouse, uh, you know, have a, have a bit of playtime, have a few good chances, and also the... Uh, Quirky, somewhat quirky element of, of Joe Knowles, who has been trialing with Brisbane Raw, obviously scored for them uh, against Leeds and played all of, what, 
15, 20 minutes in this game and rolled on, rolled off in preparation uh, for his the most important game of uh, of his career that week, which was the Australia Cup tie for Oakley against Bonnie Rick White Eagles. Yeah, no, I, I, sure. thought, I thought Charlie Austin's really the, the headline. Yeah. Well, what did you think of Austin's uh, cameo, Lockie? I mean, you know, came close to scoring. But what, what, what were your thoughts, I guess, on, on what you saw from him in a very limited and obviously mm. in a friendly? Uh, we, we're probably going to have the chance to see him on Wednesday night. We'll talk about later. But I guess yes. what you saw, are you are you is there anything to take out of that? Like, what, what did you, I guess, see that from him? I, pro- I probably take less out of his actual performance in the game because, because, as you said, he had that sort of one distinct chance, didn't really feature much other than that. You could see how, even from that chance, while it was wayward, you could get a kind of glimpse into how he might potentially link in and, and provide a more fer- a permanent focal point for a Brisbane team that uh, not going to be a surprise to anyone for me to say that they desperately need a permanent focal point. Uh, but he's... Post-match interview, uh, he was just really, really positive about the environment uh, in Brisbane Raw at the moment, the experience he's had so far in Australia, and also the um, the quality of, of the player that he's he's working with. And I wonder if yeah, he might be a good character to to have around the dressing room, particularly for some of the uh, the younger lights. And even though he, you know, his ranking on the NRI scale is a bone of contention that continues to to wage on in the uh, the, the TNC fandom and in the, the members of, uh, of the show itself, I do think he will still be one of those guys who the actual character of the man is um is going to bring a sort of a net positive to the league. Uh, and that is even with me putting to one side his um affection for Red Rooster, which I'm not sure about that at all. Yeah, that interesting choice of fast food option is one of the first ones off the bat. You can go anywhere else, but Red Rooster? Do people still go to Red Rooster? Like, I mean, what? Still could... Chicken Sorry, treat, mate. Chicken treat. Yeah, this is this is the thing that surprised me. Is that, that tweet, for those who don't know what we're talking about, that tweet from Charlie Austin saying that he was recommended by someone else to try Red Rooster. Whoever is recommending Red Rooster as a food option, come outside. I just want to talk. I, like it's not even not even the best chicken fast food option in this in the country, let alone the best fast. It's anyway, anyway. Uh, if he bangs in the goals, he can eat whatever he likes. Uh, that's that's my final word. I think if he's eating red rooster on a regular, I'm not sure he will be banging banging in the goals. <laughs> uh, I'm not sure how the uh, Brisbane uh, Brisbane tr- coaches and uh, the nutritionists felt about his uh, red rooster tweet. They would have. Uh, I'm sure that would have raised some eyebrows in Queensland, uh, but uh, look, as a uh, as a proud West Australian, I have to say, chicken treat is uh, you know is the best, regardless of whether that's my opinion. I am legally obliged as a West Australian to say uh, chicken treat supremacy. Uh, Nando's is also quite good. Lockie, do we even have chicken treat in Victoria? Memory, like, no, is that, or is that no, just a WA thing? I was going to say, I think it's a WA a WA thing, but I given my like. I, Sorry, not not to labour the point on this because we should be talking about serious footballing things. Sorry, have you ever been past a Red Rooster and actually seen a customer inside? Like, I have not no. seen a single person other than people employed to work at Red Rooster inside a Red Rooster for a long time now. Uh, please, you, in the comments, Red Rooster customers, reveal yourselves. Do, do you I know what it's like? Work. Sorry, go on, Ben. 
I used to work at Coles and there was a, uh, a red rooster next, next door to it. So um, occasionally, you know, on those days where I didn't have lunch, I'd just go to red rooster and get some chips or some, you know, chicken nuggets or something. And occasionally I went for, you know, every time you go past red rooster and you're like, oh, yeah, I could really do a hot chicken roll. I mean, you have said hot chicken roll from red rooster and you're like, well, I'm never doing that again. Like it is the mo- there is no more disappointing food that on the regular than a red rooster hot chicken roll. It is never ever good. Like I've I'm sorry if there's any re- if you know I'm sorry if there's any potential red rooster sponsors listening into a pod hoping to uh, uh, to get a deal for TNC. I've either ruined the deal for TNC or I've made sure ensured that I'll never be appearing on this podcast again. But it's just not great. I'm sorry, it's not great. No, uh, it's funny because I think the only people I know who have re- or had Red Rooster was when there were Red Rooster stalls inside the MCG and people would just go to the Red Rooster downstairs because they would have better chips. They'd have the chicken salt chips. But no one, like there's a Red Rooster near my house and Lockie, you mentioned, like there's a Macca's next door and there's a Red Rooster next to it. And no one is ever going through the drive-thru with the Red Rooster. It's like the people are just employed to stand there all day and just wait and they get a customer and it's like, Oh my god! Like, what do we do, guys? Again, so if there's like a, a prospective sponsor listening, we'll we'll stop the the, the shitting on Red Rooster uh, and, and actually move on. Um, ben, let's let's go over to obviously Perth and, and chat a bit about the final two legs of this Premier League tour. Uh, you've had the joy of, of following along uh, United, Leeds, Villa, and Palace, obviously over to Perth Friday night and Saturday night. Two different, much different crowds in terms of Friday and Saturday at Optus Stadium. I guess the whole experience coming over to Perth, how did you see it from uh, from your sense? Yeah, it was a good week, I thought. Uh, so Leeds kind of rocked up Tuesday night, Man United Wednesday night, and I think Palace were Wednesday night as well. And uh, I think Villa came in potentially Thursday at some point. Um, it was good. It was, I said in, a, in an article I wrote for West Australia, my employer, pardon me, midweek, that... Um, it's the world game had come to Perth in a way it never had before. Like I know we've had Socceroos, Matildas games, you know, A-League grand finals, NSL grand finals, even, you know, overseas friendlies, but never before has Perth had four English Premier League teams in the city at once, which was really cool. And it was good. It was really awesome seeing, I think, 5,000 people at the Man United open training session at the Wacker, uh, which was, it was, even though, you know, I'm not, I'm, a long way from being a Man United fan. It's just cool seeing so many red shirts and so many football fans just, uh, you know, display their passion and get a chance to watch, uh, you know, people that they more often than not get up at, you know, at 3 a.m. in the morning to watch on TV. It's great that they have the opportunity to, you know, see them in the flesh, even if it is training in a preseason friendly. Uh, You know, I don't really think uh, these big name preseason friendlies help Australian football, but they're good for football fans in Australia. If, if you get what I mean, they are, um, they're, it's just great. Like I had mates who are big, who are really big man United fans, you know, type who actually get up, watch, watch the games, you know, in the, in the wee hours of the morning. Um, and they were like, uh, one of them missed out on tickets and he was pretty gutted. Another one had tickets to the United Villa game yesterday. And he was saying, uh, you know, it was just great that he was able to see, 
you know, like Jaden Sancho and uh, and Man United Villegate first half. They were two pretty strong teams. United played a very strong first eleven. Uh, in fact, it was uh, you know Eric Ten Hag was saying the day before at his pregame press conference. Um, you know, even though he had bought a lot of academy boys on the tour um, and he wanted to give them chances, the season's only two weeks away. It's literally less than a fortnight away now. So, he, and he was saying that he has to be a bit selfish in that with these tour, you know, he needs to use these preseason games to actually test his first 11 to work on stuff, you know, that they're going to implement uh, come, you know, their first uh, game of the season against Brighton. So it's, uh, you know, it was cool. I remember watching, you know, I think Chelsea and Man United on their previous tours, and I don't seem to recall that their, you know, their games over here had anywhere near the uh, as strong a first 11s as they put out on uh, Friday. And obviously the Palace situation was a bit different because of the, the split squad, as I know, you know, Joey reported on. Uh, and it, Patrick Vieira's press conference where he was saying, you know, they had it was hard to prepare for the season because they'd have had to leave half their squad in England. Um, but, you know, with the season so close, this was a really important, uh, you know, chance for these squads to really exercise, you know, work work out how they're going to approach their actual season in two weeks, weeks which was pretty cool. And, you know, they were, it was pretty great seeing all the kind of activations midweek, uh, you know, Leeds came in Tuesday night, Wednesday morning. They were with uh, Mark McGowan uh, doing uh, something at Gage Roads uh, Brewery um, where he was basically welcoming them to Fremantle, which was their base for the entirety of the trip. Uh, I noticed that Aston Villa went to, uh, I believe it was Kings Park, uh, just had a walk around there. Uh, Crystal Palace went to uh, the new WA Museum. and uh, Jack Butland was actually talking about the Nicky Winmar uh, section of the museum, talking about, you know, how how interesting it was uh, reading up about Nicky Winmar at the museum and, you know, his uh, the racial abuse that he, he received and the stand he took against it. And he was kind of drawing parallels to, uh, you know, how Premier League players have kind of dealt with abuse uh, in recent, well, not just recent times, but it's been... Uh, brought to the fore a lot more in recent times. And uh, I think it was Leeds went to the zoo as well and, you know, got to do the whole, you know, touristy thing where they got to hold koalas and stuff like that. And, you know, like I said, it's not something that's going to help the A-League, but it is really cool that there, that there were fans. Like one of my best mates is a big Leeds fan. It was cool that he got the chance to watch, you know, Patrick Bamford and Jack Harrison play and, yeah, it was a, it was a shame about the Optus Stadium turf uh, conspiring to uh, ruin things uh, with the with the weather. But yeah, on the whole, I I had a fun week, and you know I know it's not going to. It's not like it's going. If the A League is brilliant next season, we're not going to be pointing at this and saying, "Well, this is the reason why." But it's just kind of a fun preseason thing. You know, maybe the clubs feel different because of the travel involved and the jet lag they'll face and how close it is to the actual season starting. But as a football fan in Western Australia, I had a good time this week. Ben, just just quickly, because uh, we've got someone that may be joining us in just a second, a bit of a, an unknown guest that has entered the chat. I wanted to ask you before we throw to him, um, 
Perth Glory, would you, obviously we spoke about it last week. Well, the, the other guys mainly spoke about it before I jumped on last week, but they spoke about, you know, how Melbourne Victory was almost the sideshow to it. And they were the, the other team that got the opportunity to play against Manchester United when obviously there may have been a plan to, to play a West Ham who was supposed to come out before COVID. Would you have liked to have seen Perth Glory, you know, we saw them play Manchester United in 2019, but get the rub of playing maybe one game against one of the four teams that did come over to Perth, if like at least even maybe the game at HBF or at Optus Stadium? Uh, I I don't necessarily mind. I'm sure the players themselves would have liked to uh, to have uh, been involved in some of these friendlies, uh, not least for, uh, you know, an opportunity to try and get uh, Harry Maguire or Bruno Fernandez's shirt. Um, but, yeah, I, d- I don't think it really matters. I'm not sure Glory playing in one of these friendlies is going to in- attract... Uh, you know, fans to glory games when the A-League men's season comes around. Uh, it's, you know, I they glory just started their preseason preparations, I think, this week. If it wasn't this week, it was just last week. So they're very early in their preseason preparations and uh, they've got a lot of their squad uh, already training with them, which is good. In previous years, it's been a bit of a, you know, players coming back at different times, uh, but they seem fairly settled. Uh, I'm sure they would have loved to have played one of these teams had the chance arisen, but I don't, I think the first half of Man United, Aston Villa was a really, a pretty high quality game, you know, far more high quality than, you know, than pretty much every A-League men's game I watched last season. Uh, I mean, you know, who would have thought that throwing Jaden Sancho, Bruno Fernandez, you know, Marcus Rashford, uh, you know, on the pitch together would have uh, produced good football. Who saw that coming? Uh, mm. But, yeah, I think, I mean, the Palace-Leeds game was a slog. And like I said, you know, the, the Optus Stadium turf was a mess and not helped by uh, the poor weather that we uh, experienced here in Perth over the past couple of days. Uh, but, yeah, it was, I think the quality of football was really good and it didn't really have me wishing that, you know, Glory were involved in some way. No, fair enough. Fair enough. Hey, uh, guys, we spoke about someone potentially jumping in. And we, we there's been a bit of a war in the YouTube comments at the moment between one of our absent hosts, uh, Joey Lynch, and some of Is the, the, the regular commenters. Uh, <laughs> no, it's not Ante's dad. So he basically said that he could host a show from the comments. So he started saying things like, you know, move it on, guys. And just by coincidence, I moved it on. And he's trying to take credit for it. As you can see, uh, rolling along here, best host can host from the comments. Run the memes. But Josh isn't in the comments. Well, you can tell him that. Wow. You can tell such such in just a second because run the memes. Basically, there's a brick heading in your direction from Victoria. Watch yeah, out. It's, it, it's prepared. To, it's prepared. It, it's it's flying through two different time zones to get to your residence, Ben. But run the memes basically threw out the gauntlet and said, "Say it in the podcast." Well, <laughs> Joey. Welcome, mate. Oh. You've shown enough, enough He's here. To at least for a few minutes. Uh, please respond, mate. Like you, you've, you've, uh, you, you saw the challenge. You're like, mate, I'm not, I'm not taking it. Well, no, I, I said I'll come in. I'm gonna responding to the challenge. I will say it on the pod that you know my username. It's not coming up on the screen for some reason, but I set my name for my podcast appearance as best host, and I am coming on the show. There we go. Ah. <laughs> uh, so, no, despite the fact that, as I said on the Twitter, I am proper effed after the past week, I am coming on. I am, you know, just securing that appearance fee from Mickey Mouse. And I am here for five to ten minutes to give my hottest takes 
just point me at the thing and I will say something to piss somebody off. All right, Joey, we're, we're just wrapping up the Premier League tours down under, I guess. Final thoughts on the whole thing? It was a circus. It came to town. I don't think it will have any long-lasting legacy on the game here in any shape or form whatsoever. No, oh, except fair maybe, the, maybe the Sharon band, but I have my... I'm not sure if the Sharon band will last. I'm going to be very intrigued to see if Football Australia's um, ticker surrounding the Sharon ban uh, survives a state government saying, we are paying millions for this team to come out. You, We are doing what we want. And whether Football Australia deems that a battle worth fighting, and they have to negotiate with these state governments to receive largesse for Matilda's and Socceroos games. Because, ladies and gentlemen, if you are wondering why Sydney gets so many Socceroos and Matildas games. It is because the New South Wales government is prepared to financially support those games so readily. And if you are wondering why the Melbourne doesn't host them, it's because the Victorian government doesn't. Well, Joey, before we let you go, because you look like you genuinely need to get some sleep after flying back from New Zealand, mate. Like, I, I respect the fact you jumped. I've, I've never seen uh, someone look so yeah. spent before. Sheffield. Like, genuinely. Yeah. <laughs> so, so tired. Like, mate, you're making me tired. You're making my ticker levels just drop right now. Um, Joey, cheap plugs. This is your moment. We're still giving you the opportunity. What is coming out uh, in the next few days or what is out right now? Uh, not a lot, actually. I had that Australia Cup piece up in Optus. So, um, yes, the Australia Cup is my absolute most beloved part of the Australian football calendar. Um, so that piece is up in Optus. Oh, later this week, I should be speaking to a f certain major name marquee. Um, and that will hopefully not only serve as an article but it might also be a sneaky, sneaky, Brucey bonus TNC podcast. So maybe keep your ears open for that. Yes, making up for the fact that I am not on this episode. The first TNC episode that I will not be involved in start to finish in pretty much in almost six months and certainly since the ESPN deal. So I'll come back with a Brucey bonus edition where I throw, get rid of everybody else and it's just me one-on-one -on -one with the person. Well, there we go. We're going to get the solo Joey Lynch TNC edition. Uh, really looking forward to that. Well, obviously, like I said, very high profile, uh, very high sugar potential interview. So run their memes as well, uh, dropping in. Joey with the great British tradition of invading <laughs> things. Uh, great way to, yes. to end it up. Uh, Ivan, Ivan, did Joey get the cream jumper memo? Certainly not. Uh, we've also had Skip. Uh, Joey Wellington Phoenix trial. Can you confirm? Are you on trial as potentially one of their new signings? Are you going to be joining uh, their new Bulgarian signing? No, I, I am not the first. I am not the uh, first. Well, they had the first Bulgarian signing. I am not the first Cumbrian signing uh, from from the A League. So I was. Yeah, here we go. We're cheaping it. Talking about cheap plugs. I was in New Zealand's on Canteen Australia duty, visiting our brethren at Canteen Aotearoa, um, fact-finding mission, as well as getting to know some of them, having not been able to do it with COVID. Massive, massive respect to 
the work that Quarantine Aotearoa is doing, particularly with their um, outreach to Maori and the Pacifica peoples. That's something that really admire about their organisation, bicultural, and that's something that Australia has, can, I think, can learn from. It's um, been really great to see uh, Canteen New Zealand's Canteen Aotearoa going from strength to strength and really doing all they can to improve the lives of young people and across the Dutch. Well, Joey, uh, sh- it's time to go, but Alan's just come through saying, shame he, like England, can't win the battle for the best host when it matters. So, Joey, before you go, any last responses to that? No, Balotelli's a night. Piss off. You're out of here. Joey Lynch, see you later. Um, thank, well, Joey yeah, thanks is my, jumping on, Joey but... is my... F- Joey is my favourite powerboard salesman because he specialises in cheap plugs. I like it. I like it. Nice. I like it. Ben. I can't. I, yeah, that was that was a serious impact substitution. You're nearly near the, oh, uh, the Marco Tilio of uh, of the <laughs> podcast. Unfortunately, I can't tell whether coming on for only five minutes of the show uh, when you were extremely tired. I can't tell whether that's incredible ticker or only being on for five minutes and not sticking around is poor ticker. I'm going to give it's him the benefit of the doubt and say it's good ticket because he did look well, like he was on death's door. In, in a true TNC way, two things can be true at the same time. So there we uh, go. I think, that, I think that you're on, you're on to something. Um, before we completely wrap up our sort of Premier League tour down under discussion, uh, I want to ask you guys. Now, during the week, uh, Vince Regari from the Sydney Morning Herald wrote an article in regards to the Sharon ban. So the code wars have erupted again, guys. Um, apparently going forward, Football Australia are going to make a conscious effort to ban Sharons from photo opportunities with players. And as we saw with Marcus Rashford posing with the Sharon and everything else. Um, guys, I want to ask you, what are your thoughts on it? Joey obviously uh, chimed in with his thoughts regarding the Sharon ban, regarding, you know, what the go is there if you know like obviously if state governments start getting involved and have their sway uh oh their sway their say and have their sway at the same time and and you know tell them you know we're the ones pouring out the money you oblige by our rules what are your thoughts guys uh is this something that you could see being enacted in time in time or could we see the sharon ban just being something of a bit of a you know a bit of a something just to just just for now, but something that maybe when the teams are back next year, whatever that might be, may not be enacted. It's a stupid rule. Like it is, I couldn't believe, I, I did believe the story when I saw it because it's the most A-League men's story of all time. Like, what are we doing here, guys? Seriously, like just the fact that it became a story is like, I think it's almost embarrassing for the league. I can understand, you know, behind closed doors going, hey, we, you know, we we need to stop these photo shoots with a Sharon. But the fact that it kind of has now come out in the media makes the A-League, or, you know, I think it makes Football Australia look worse. The fact that they have kind of said to the media, yeah, we're going to stop it. You know, if... You know, just stop it quietly behind closed doors. Let AFL be the ones to complain about it publicly because then it makes AFL look worse. The fact that it's like at the end of the week, like I get trying to fight AFL because you feel because people feel that AFL has been fighting, you know, the round ball game in this country for so, so long. And I, I completely understand that. But at the end of the day, 
It's a picture of a man with a sheriff. Let's break it out. That is a picture of a man with a with with you know with an AFL football. Australian football has bigger things to worry about than Marcus Rashford holding a bloody Sharon. The fact that we that people devoted so much energy to this in from so many different circles, not just in social media, but from Football Australia, it's embarrassing. Like I get that it was pro, you know, but oh man, like I feel like I'm wasting too much energy getting annoyed about it because like I saw the Rashford photo. Oh, yep, whatever. This was gonna happen. But the fact that we it's now like, oh, we've got to have a ban in place. Like, it's a social media photo. It's not going to affect the game. Hmm. Like, what are we doing here, guys? Seriously. Like, I I feel like I've gone full ante for a second. But, uh, yeah, I just – honestly, like, I just do not really care about a picture of Marcus Rashford holding a Sharon and people – and the fact that it's triggered, you know, this level of fallout is just – you know, if – Soccer, we always say soccer Twitter is undefeated, but I feel like sometimes it kind of chases. It's it's a dog chasing the wrong car. Lucky. So my my leading question for this because we we every, a lot of people in the soccer Twitter community like to uh, lose our proverbial uh, over that image and make fun of that image that came out when we were bidding for the World Cup. Uh, of Ron Barassi crushing the soccer ball with his hands. Are we going to get an equivalent? James Johnson just destroying a Sharon with his uh, with his palms. I'm not sure. Anyway, um, I, I just think reading the sort of weather vein of this one during the week, a lot of people deep in the weeds of soccer Twitter seem to really like it, while on the other hand, people who aren't or people who are but have a connection to footy absolutely hate it. And I do think, as Ben said, that this is, while I don't, I don't, I'm not really bothered one way or the other. Like if, if, if they want to develop an anti, a no sharing rule and try and enforce it, best of luck to them. If that's what they deem to be the most important issue, then, you know, fill your boots, Football Australia. But I do think that, as Ben said, this is another case of a cart before horse kind of thinking here because to me what's more important here the the two big things that we've sort of expressed our concern about over the off-field involvement of these touring sides on the one hand you have them holding a sharing and it gets a few thousand likes on manchester united's instagram page or, or whatever the other thing is the lack of community engagement from these european stars with actually heading out and doing work at the grassroots level. Now, Ben, you obviously had some stories earlier about how uh, certain clubs did do a good job of that in WA, but I think, Nick, you would agree with me that we didn't really see any of that at all here in Melbourne from, from any of the clubs that were involved. I put it to you, to a junior footballer, yeah, six, seven, eight-year-old kid, right, who's got an interest in footy, has an interest in, in the round ball as well. What's going to be more impactful to them, right, in their sport decision? Is it going to be they're a soccer player and they see an Instagram photo of Marcus Rashford holding a football and they think, well, if Manchester United striker Marcus Rashford is holding a footy, that must mean he likes AFL. Therefore, well, goodbye, Brighton Soccer Club. I'm off to the local Auskick. Or 
if Marcus Rashford comes down with a group of Manchester United players to visit Brighton Soccer Club for this hypothetical kid, that is going to have a remarkably larger impact than any attempt to erase the existence of the other codes in, in the minds of, of, of football fans. Cart before horse here. Let's not focus on denying this silly Sharon photo op. Rather than trying to stop that from happening, let's actually enshrine involvement of these players and clubs at the grassroots level. Like if they're coming here, they have to be involved in a certain amount of community events where juniors can reach out and, you know, literally figuratively touch them. So they can get that sense of, of what it's like, what it's like to be involved at the elite level rather than, oh, well, he's not holding a share. I, I think that's the more important issue to focus on here than, than the denial of other codes access to these people. Because the other problem with that is you're poking the bear. You are poking the bear when you try and deny the AFL what they want. And is that going to end well? I don't know. Ben? Uh, I just want to point out there's something very uh, interesting, which I witnessed in the uh, tunnel last night as I headed to the uh, post-game Manchester United mixed zone that they uh, they held for you know with Eric Ten Hag and uh, I believe it was Diego Dalot uh, who was also also there. Pardon me. Um, so uh, there was a very interesting uh, you know well-known WA celebrity wait also waiting you know just next to the uh, Man United team bus with a Manchester United uh, jersey in hand, uh, waiting for uh, Marcus Rashford, actually. Um, his name is uh, Nathaniel Fife, and uh, he, uh, he, was wa- he was waiting for Marcus Rashford, and I believe he got, he got Marcus Rashford to sign his Manchester United uh, thing. There's nothing on Fife's uh, social media stuff about it, but... I saw it with my own eyes. I saw Fife waiting. I saw he had the Manchester shirt. Uh, actually, sorry, I, I let me uh, rephrase that. Gary Adshed, the uh, WA j- journalist uh, who is a big Manchester United fan, actually took a picture of Rashford signing the shirt for uh, uh, Fife. But so uh, I just want to know how Football Australia is going to stop that crossover. I mean, if people, if other people saw you know Nat Fife with a Manchester United shirt, I think there'd be some very confused and conflicted people. Lucky. At the end of the day, as well, are we as as a footballing community? Do we not get the last laugh here? Like, to put it in the context of the whole tour, okay, there's been a few interactions between AFL players and you know European football players. Okay, but we've also had tens of tens of thousands of people attending the games with no connection to the egg ball at all it's been exclusively football and for the two games in melbourne seventy-five thousand people were there each time who's the real winner there who's the Mm. real winner you know that's what i'm saying just a a small thing before i I throw to our next topic because we actually are now joined you know talk about invasion so we've actually got two extra people joining got one returnee and one coming in from an undisclosed location um we just one thing i want to add i think the big thing is for me when these teams come out, I just wish that there was more promotions. You mentioned Lockie with the local clubs, like whether it was just a visit or, you know, doing something like that. Like we saw, as Teo mentioned last week, what um, Juve did when they came here and they went down to 
formerly known as Moreland Zebras, now actually being called Brunswick Juventus and, you know, took over their socials and did some stuff down there. That's the sort of stuff I would have loved to have seen. Because you mentioned, Lockie, as a young kid that's playing the game, they would have gotten such a kick. Just having, whether it's, it you know, one or... Oh, absolutely. I'd be talking about that for years. They'd be talking that into their, probably into their teens, into their adults. Like, oh my God, I was a kid. And guess who came to training when I was at my junior club? Like, that's something you don't forget. And we've probably all had moments where we've played at junior clubs where whether it was an A-League player or whether it was, even if we did Kick, and sorry to bring it back to footy, but there was a player that came down and you got such a kick out of you. Like, oh my God, like, guess who came to training? Like, I remember when I was in under 12s, Robbie Cruz and Lee Broxham came to one of our training sessions one time. And that was like, the most exciting thing ever because it was like, oh my God, it's, it's Broxy and, and Robbie Cruz coming to a Doncaster Rovers training session. Like how, like, you know, they're taking time out of their Tuesday on a really cold night to come and, you know, spend a bit of time with us. And that was awesome. So, and I'm sure we've all had experiences like that as well. I mean, Nick, when I was 12, I got a photo with Golgo Mabratu when he was playing for Melbourne Heart and Nick can back me up. I still talk about it to this day. I, st- I mean, people can verify this on my Twitter uh, after the, well, the World you Cup, spoke Andrew, you, 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 you spoke to Andrew. You spoke. Well, you you did it because matter. you're you were the oracle, Lockie. You, it wasn't Boy, because you just got a photo. You you up. had a vision and you had to tell them what what um you know you had to tell them what was coming in the future, and what they had to be ready for. Hey guys, we know you love your footy, but perhaps you fancy a bit of rugby too. If so, then why not check out ESPN Scrum Reset, where Sam Bruce and Christy Doran discuss all the hot topics in the game, from Super Rugby to the Wallabies and All Blacks, and even further afield. Available wherever you get your pods. Hey, um, let's throw in to now our invaders. Uh, first of all, Joey has actually come back. Uh, I, it's like, it's like you know what this is like? This is like being a parent and having a kid that won't go to sleep. <laughs> and, you know, he keeps coming back, and he's like, can I start for another half an hour? No. But he's come back. But so has another. Now, we spoke about it like a ticker, and I think he heard at the start of the podcast where I said, you know, Josh came on from Port Douglas. Uh, he, you know, where is, where is he? Why is he not coming on? Well, Nick Stoll decided I'm going to come in from Portugal. <laughs> oh, put a shirt on me. I mean, shirtless from Portugal. Um, Stoll, you know, this is still 8.30 p.m. Like, this is Does not this breach watershed? Like this is this is a big concern, Nick Stoll. Like, uh, where, where are you, my friend? Like, whereabouts in the world are you, and and what's going on? I'm in I'm in Lisbon. Uh, I've arrived here to uh, keep an eye on Paul Ocon's son, who's just signed for Benfica. But look, I've got some bad news, guys. I've got some bad news. I've been in Portugal. I've been in Spain. I've been in Germany. I've been in Scotland. I've got some bad news to report here in Europe. AFL has officially taken over Europe. As soon as they saw that photo op with Marcus Rashford and the and the AFL Sharon, they've given up. They've given up. The season's cancelled here. Benfica's gone. The, you know, Sporting's gone. It's all about AFL. All right. So, well done to the AFL. They've won the global domination, and they are now, thanks to that photo op, the biggest sport in the world. It's incredible. Joey. I'm just here because I am not. I refuse to be upstaged by Stoll just because I perform a late cameo. He insists on making cameo. Well, no, if you make one cameo, I'm going to make two cameos. And I would also say, Mr. Nick Stoll, yeah, God, with the with the nudeness, the nakedness, you know, at least when I have the, you know, come on this show not wearing pants, at least I crop it so that nobody can tell that I've. We didn't need to know that, Joey. Joey, we did not need to know that. I'm wearing. 
I never said I wasn't wearing pants now, but now you're going to go back and think, you know, when was he on the show without this, as opposed to Nick Stoltz just absolutely, completely shirtless. Look, what I'll say, that it was, well, it's like 30 degrees here in Lisbon. It was 41 degrees in uh, Toledo yesterday. So, you know, you, you can't wear shirts on holiday. Like, forget it. Well, no, I don't. I just was actually say, at I, a I know, uh, Wellington Phoenix game. I, <laughs> I don't know if TNC has like a business development manager or anything, but Nick, you can't give away the shirtless content for free. This has got to be a members exclusive. Come on. So what you so what you're trying to say is, uh, Lockie, what a TNC OnlyFans or something? Just with Nick Stoltz. I didn't say it. that. I didn't say that. I'm just saying if I had a business development manager for TNC. They might be saying, you know, don't give this sort of exclusive stuff away without without charging for it. Hey, this goes on the Patreon. I have a serious question, actually, because I've been away for the last three weeks or something, and I've missed all these friendlies. Um, and I've kind of just been kind of like keeping up tangentially with what's been happening. Have people, like, because there have been big crowds, right? Have people been going away from them going, yeah, great experience, Loved it because it's expensive, and you know, obviously, the idea is probably going to come out year after year after year. Has the feeling been as ah, a bit of a disappointment, a bit underwhelming, or has it been loved it? Saw Man United, saw Aston Villa, saw whoever else has come out. Like, what's the feeling? I think everyone in Melbourne that I've spoken to really enjoyed going. I don't think there was any issues with the spectacle at all. Um, Josh, Josh spoke, Jesus, that was a big vibration into the microphone um but josh spoke about last week how he spoke to fans outside the grounds did like vox pops for stats perform and he asked them a bit about you know would you be interested in going to watch a melbourne victory game you know just asking those uh as we quote unquote euro snobs about you know would you be interested in now going to watch melbourne victory and he said that there were quite a few like yeah you know i'd give it a bit of a crack so if you talk about cut through hashtag cut through in the uh with the R-Liga in terms it's going to have any spike, it's a bit too early to tell. But, yeah, I think everyone that I've spoken to who went to either of the friendlies didn't have a bad time at all. I don't know if that was the same experience over in Perth, Ben. Yeah, it was. I think the uh, the Palace-Leeds Le- game on Friday night wasn't a great game. And, uh, you know, Patrick Vieira said post-game that he thought it was quite a good game. Jesse Marsh was, seemed quite happy with things. Uh, everyone in the press box <laughs> thought it was pretty rubbish. Uh, I, including myself, I thought it was pretty rubbish as, uh, Nick Stoll continues to uh, give us a tour of the, uh, villa he is staying in. Still hasn't put on a shirt for those listening on the podcast. Where's um, Freya? Where's Freya? Bring, bring on Freya. Oh, he's... Just have her roast you. What game is that, Stoll? <laughs> well, I'm a Euro top. I'm watching Real Madrid Barca. Rafinha, what a play. <laughs> so, well, guys, sorry, go, go on, Ben. Go on, Ben. Uh, yeah, sorry, I got distracted by uh, Stoll. Uh, but yes, uh, I, I, Man United, Aston Villa was actually, uh, the first half was actually pretty good standard of football. Uh, I, I enjoyed it. I thought it was good for a preseason game. It was a lot better than what I'd witnessed the night before. Now, the final half an hour, I think Gerard and Ten Hag made about 16 subs between them. And no, I'm not exaggerating. They made... Probably the two, they made, only made two substitutions, you know, each in that second half, but they, or there were only two stops in that half for, uh, for substitutions, but they literally subbed out pretty much their entire team's first 11s, gave the, the second guys a run. But because the first 11s were so strong, it actually ended up in a, you know, Man United looked 
pretty 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 decent a lot better than you know chelsea when they played perth glory a lot better than man united when they played perth, uh, perth glory a few years ago certainly better than crystal palace and Leeds on friday night um and yeah you know like i said earlier it was pretty much full strength teams for both man united and villa for the first hour or so um and then at halftime villa made a couple of changes leon bailey came on and looked really really good for villa uh so uh yeah villa fans get on uh leo bailey a top scorer if you're uh you know if you're that way inclined for the season uh he yeah that's my hot tip uh he looked really good last night and uh yeah just uh you know Jaden sancho also looked really good for man united uh you know just you know as he does keeps finding like nice pockets of space doesn't get drawn towards the ball um and it was good seeing world-class players just even though it was a friendly, even though the intensity wasn't quite there, even some of the guys in the, uh, the press box remarked that, you know, it was not only was it better than Friday night, but it felt closer to a, you know, Premier League intensity. Joey, you look like you had something to say. No, I saw Stoll's nipple. <laughs> <laughs> We've all Joey. seen things tonight we weren't expecting to when we agreed to uh, come on this podcast. Uh, look... What I would say is, first of all, free the nipple. Uh, second of all, um, so I guess these have been successful, right? You know, I'm assuming the clubs have made their money and that's the only reason they're coming here. And then the fans have kind of been happy. So would we deem these things successful? Yeah, because these things, that's all these things are about. To try to attach yeah. any further existential meaning to these tours is ridiculous the only one that you could maybe attach slightly more existential meaning to was the barcelona versus the a-league all-stars game and that was because the apl took a real active role in the promotion of that they got access to all of the emails and everything so there is potential legacy to come out from that the other ones like they're done by the promoters they're done by governments the apl as far as I can tell, had nothing to do with like actually organising the other friendlies. Football Australia signed off on them, got copped a fee, supplied the refs. That's about it. So to try to attach any more existential meaning to them is ridiculous. I mean, for these clubs, like take for instance Melbourne Victory, from a footballing perspective, this game against Man United, you know. More, you know, more value, but probably less important from a football perspective than their game against Western United next month. From a mm. footballing perspective, you know, it's 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 obviously of a higher tier of opponent, but the the level of import, like if they weren't playing Man United, they might have been playing an NPL side. Like that's like sort of like that's what it was for them from a footballing perspective. A preseason hit out. They've been training for two and a half weeks. I think it's silly to try to apply a ton of existential meaning to these games that, quite frankly, doesn't, you know, exist. Like, they're, ex like they're exhibition games. They're tours. Like, the, the, the Premier League clubs, if it was up to the football departments of the Premier League clubs, they wouldn't be doing it. You think Eric Ten Hag wanted to spend his pre-season in Singapore, Melbourne and Perth? No, he, he'd probably want to be on the training track. And, you know, if he did have to get on a plane to play games, it would just be to Spain or France to play, a you know, a really good opposition there. He wouldn't 
want to have to go through the disruption of all of this. These things are commercial endeavours. Trying to attach further existential meaning to them, you know, sort of just misses the point in my mind. Like, treat, have fun with them. Don't but judge, like, don't judge the APL, Football Australia or Australian clubs based on the results of them. Like, they're, if you get, you know, like, if this is, given that Melbourne Victory didn't pay a single cent for, Mel, for Manchester United to come out, if Melbourne Victory get one, just a single paying fan this season, thanks to that tour, it's a success for them. Like, that's mm. the level of their investment, pretty much. So, like, don't... And getting back to the other point, I put it in the chat when we were talking about the Sharon ban, but not everybody watches the chat. So, for the beneficiaries of the people listening to the podcast, um, and nobody put in the comments about how I just said podcast, um, like, it can be the right move in terms of applying pressure to ensure that promotion is done you know, only with local clubs, NPL clubs, Liga clubs, whatever you have. But, like, it can also be fragile at the same time, especially to make a big song and dance about it. I can I can see why Football Australia said that, because, you know, as far as low-hanging fruit goes, it's a root vegetable. It's that low. Like, it was such an easy PR win for them. Like, but you then run the risk of what basically happened, that the story escapes the soccer Twitter bubble. And, it, you know, others, you know, were chiming in. And, like, it gets back to the point about existential media games. If the game is, like, yeah, it's not ideal. And somebody mute their microphone, whoever it is. Is that you, Stoll? I think, I think um, that's Stoll. Yeah. Damn it, Stoll. Uh, <laughs> like, if the game is broke, like, if the game is make or break by the AFL, an AFL player coming out and getting a picture with a football player. We've got much work, bigger problems. Is it ideal? No. Is it something we should avoid if we have a choice? Yes. But trying to, like, claim it as a gigantic win, I think, is missing the point. And once again, gets back into this point about providing far too much existential weight to these games than they merit. No, exactly right there, Joey. Uh, Stoll, anything else you want to sort of add? Is how, how much longer is your cameo, by the way? Are you sticking around for the whole go or are you going to go out exploring Lisbon? Yeah, no, I'm going to leave in five minutes. But um, the other thing I wanted to know, do, do you think like there's a potential, an, an actual tangible domino effect of obviously like all these state governments are getting involved and they're like, wow, football, even not the A-League, but... Barcelona, Manchester United, these Premier League teams. Oh, football is so popular in this country. There's a massive, do we need to, like, because a lot of the politicians, I think, and, and people in power, whether that be, you know, CEOs of media companies and stuff, would underestimate football's popularity in Australia. Not the A-League popularity, football's popularity. Do we think that that's, that tide is turning? No. no? That's going to, like, a successful World Cup, Women's World Cup, potentially an Asian Cup to follow it, and it will take the A-Leagues getting their act together. And it, to be honest, a lot of it absolutely doesn't involve fans and attendances and games at all. It comes back to it's generational. 
how many generations of AFL administrators and NRL administrators have been getting their tendrils into government? You know, these things, it's well over a century, possibly, of executives from these codes getting their tendrils into government and establishing relationships and soft power and just institutional power. You don't reverse that. You don't reverse that in a year. Like, for the vast majority of Australian football's history, it's, oh, Freya's telling Stoloff, yay. Um, for the vast majority of Australian football's history, it's been an institutional basket case. How many national federations have run the sport in Australia in its post-war history? A ton. You don't reverse that the, these things with government just because the big, the biggest brand in the world came out and you know it's basically asking the question oh they filmed um you know they filmed thor love and thunder in queensland does that mean the government's going to start investing in art house melbourne cinema no because like technically they're the same thing but they're not like they're you've got to like it takes deep-seated campaigns and a long and gener- generational change. I just uh, want to... Generational change. <laughs> That's why we're going with a different edition today, Stoltz. Well, we're, we're, we're going with the Ringins edition, mate. Like, this is generational change. Uh, ben. Ringins at a too high level. Can't even hear a word you're saying as Freya turned on the microwave over in Lisbon. Um... <laughs> ben, uh, did you want to add anything else to this? Yeah, um, I do think the WA government has understands that football is well supported in WA. You know, you know they uh, they've definitely made a big push, not just with um, football but also tennis. Um, under you know the current Labor government and Mark McGowan, you know uh, Roger Federer came out to the Hopman Cup a couple of times, and that was um, the WA government basically were involved in you know securing his services for that as part of a tourism campaign, and uh, you know these big high-profile uh, you know EPL friendlies, going even going back to Chelsea, you know, the government has had its uh, you know has had a hand in organising all of those, but I think they view I and to view it as they view football as a means to increase tourism you know they they understand how popular football is in australia therefore they will bring teams to perth so people will fly interstate and from overseas to watch the world game and even you know they're upgrading hbf park at the moment in time for women's world cup that is still done through a prism of tourism because who's going to come to the women's world cup not just you know local football fans but people from interstate people from overseas uh so i think the wa government does appreciate the pulling power of football but mainly through a tourism lens and you know they have you know there has been a bit of funding for you know local clubs uh uh, local grassroots clubs uh in terms of you know facilities and you know women's changing rooms uh over the last you know few years but uh you know i'm sure there are lots of other clubs who would you know would love increased funding in that uh you know in that sector sorry ben uh stole just 
while you were talking gave us a tour of I his apartment and Joey was looking dumbfounded the entire time. I got to go. Um, yeah, I think, you sh- I, I think you should. I think go go and enjoy your holiday, mate. It's all good. I'm joking. I came I came on my holiday, on my timeout, to help the team. That's what I'm willing to do, all right? And I think, for one, the people are at least grateful. No, we are grateful. We're hashtag fans grateful, uh, Stoll. But, you know, the fact is you, you're providing a bit of distraction. And uh, I think that uh, you should go and enjoy your holiday. Just as told you as a mate. All right. Enjoy. See you, mate. Thanks and success. So right. Nick Stoll I'm, joining us from there. Joey, are you going to stick around or are you actually no, going to go to bed? I'm Nick Stoll, I'm leaving again. Thanks right. and six. Balotelli's a night. I can't. I can't with this. I can't with this anymore. This eight. This eight <laughs> nonsense. It's uh, it's it's doing my head in. Uh, we got a just some of the comments coming through. Skip uh, saying there are allegedly thirty five thousand fans. Uh, from interstate who came to Melbourne for the Manchester United matches. That's an investment in tourism by the Victorian government as much as an investment in football. Uh, Ivan as well coming through saying, we keep saying it, some Australian football fans are already loyal to an Australian club. Those clubs just don't play in the A-League. And that, for me, is a really good segue into the Australia Cup, which kicked off last week. Lockie, um, we had the joy of jumping on the uh, bit of a, a cheap plug for the two of us. We had the joy of jumping on the Australia Cup live Twitter spaces on Thursday to, you know, talk all things, sort of bonkers games that happened last week in the round of 32. Um, just running through the results, if for people who haven't seen those results come to fruition, uh, Oakley 5 0 winners against Bonnie Rig, Avondale 6 0 winners up north in. Darwin against Mindel Aces. Uh, Modbury Jets, 5-2 winners against Armadale. Ben, I want to ask you a little bit about Armadale in just a second, uh, losing to a second division South Australian side. And I'm sure Lockie has plenty to, to ask as well, which we'll talk about in the pre-show chat. And Bentley Greens with a 2-1 win against Broadmeadow Magic in extra time down at Kingston Heath. Uh, guys, first impressions of the, the first match day. Good to have the Australia Cup back, but good to have it back in kind of its old traditional sort of sense. I mean, you know, no more zones, no COVID affected. Um, it felt like there was a bit of that magic of the cup back. It always is excited when it, exciting when it comes back, uh, when we get to the final stages yet again. Anyone want to jump in? It was... Uh... Lockie, I think you were muted. Lockie, continue. I was, try- I was trying to talk, but you, you silenced me. Um, it was just so, so, so good to have the national rounds of, uh, of this competition back. I think obviously everyone kind of follows it in their respective states as, you know, the, the, the worthy national round entrants knock each other out, but it's only really once you get to this stage that you do get to really see the absolute best of what this tournament sort of has to offer. And even after one night of matches, one night in the round of 32, we've already had a number of really interesting and exciting narratives to talk about. Whether or not those narratives have cut through outside of our soccer Twitter bubble is maybe something we should be debating later on. But, I mean... The whole Mindle Aces story, this, you know, community club or Norzone Premier League club coming up against 
uh, one of the sort of glitterati of the semi-pro soccer scene in Australia, in Avondale, uh, the one of the only teams, or maybe even the only team, to the best of my knowledge, who flew up for their away trip a day early and paid that extra beyond the funds that were made available to them by Football Australia to, to you know, travel and all that sort of stuff. Um, obviously, not getting the result in the end, but a great crowd for them. The chance to play uh, a fourteen-year-old alongside a forty-five-year-old in their eleven. Um, Obviously, in the Broadmeadow uh, Broadmeadow Magic game, I uh, was it uh, Bowling the keeper Zach his first Zach name Bowling is Zach Bowling. Lock, uh, Locky, 19... you know, you know, I can, you know, I can talk about Zach Bowling all day, mate. Like, the, yeah, this 19, nineteen years of age and a masterclass. Unfortunately, not enough to deliver his side a win. Bentley Green's getting a dramatic win after extra time in a game they dominated. I could go on. There's there's probably more things that you two will inevitably add, but. God, it was just nice to have all those little narratives and crucially non-food narratives. There is so much, as much as I am here for the enjoyable food of the cup and all that sort of stuff. Um, I, I feel like when we just talk about that, we reduce what the Australia Cup is and can be to a really like base, simple level. There's so much more out there and I really do think the first four games have got us off to a great start. We got a good snapshot of what there is for us, and there's even better in store because we've still got the NPL Victoria clubs to take on some of the uh, our Liga sides as well. Just quickly before I get to you, Ben, I mean, it's good to, to hear, Lockie, you mentioned about the food because Bentley Greens had kind of become this, like, team that had done really well in the Australia Cup, or formerly known as the FA Cup, but everyone kind of knew them because of the Suvlakis, and I don't think that's a very fair kind of summation of Bentley Greens and what they are as a football club and also, you know, they're, what they've been able to achieve in this competition, which by any means, when you compare all the other state league sides that have competed in the Australia Cup, no one's been as consistent as Bentley Greens in this competition, making semifinals, you know, knocking off um, top quality A-League men's sides. And I think it's good to see that there's more than just that to them and that the narrative has shifted from them, you know, just talking about the smell of Yeros coming from, the club rooms that's just part of the bentley greens experience it's not everything about bentley greens you know so i think there's a lot more to that um ben uh, obviously the other one of the other fixtures we mentioned was in wa armadale falling 5-2 against modbury jets who are a second division side from south australia and as mentioned i'm going to steal this line uh from Lockie's pre-show chat but has I'm sorry, Lockie. Like you know, it's 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 the perfect segue. But um, is there an existential crisis in football in Western Australia after that? Is there a root and branch review needed after the fact that Armadale lost to a second division side from South Australia? This is no disrespect to Bodbury Jets and what they've done. It's a sensational achievement. But does something need to change, or is this just an isolated incident? Considering Armadale's form going into that fixture. Uh, to quote Raygat, or to paraphrase Raygat, oh my God, what a farce! The game in WA has died today uh, or on uh, Wednesday night. Uh, no, it's been quite muted. I think something which may, I'm not sure if it got a, I only caught the last half an hour of a game, so I don't know if it got a mention on the broadcast, but Armadale's, Armadale were in the cup final, this the WA uh, cup final this Sunday. So uh, I don't know, you know, I'm just having a quick look at the, uh, you know, the team that they put out against, uh, you know, the Modbury Jets. And, you know, there are some first-team players in there. There's also some players who, uh, you know, 
pro who haven't played uh, as many games. I think they tried to, you know, they the club obviously wanted to win, you know, both both cup games, both the final and the, you know, the game against the Jets. Uh, but I think they did try and rotate squads a bit. Uh, I also want to point out as well that Armadale is a, you know, a mid, Armadale, it's a, they're a mid-table NPL team who have never really, they've had a couple of really good cup runs, but they've never seriously threatened, you know, to mount a league, uh, you know, a, a league tilt. So, you know, they're, they're still a, you know, a solid team, but I don't think that they are, you know, the best that WA can offer. Uh, I did notice Modbury had, uh, you know, uh, I think six or eight points clear in Division Two. So, uh, I and I'm not sure. Maybe South, if we've got any South Australian commenters, uh, they might be uh, better placed to talk about this. But I don't know. A couple of years ago, when Guelph Croatia were coming up the ranks in the state league in WA. They had a state league division two team, which was basically NPL players that they were, you know, there was a lot of strong rumors that they were paying uh, players and uh, quite heavily. And looking at the caliber of some of those players, you'd have to imagine, wonder why they were suddenly decided to uh, play a season of uh, division two, con- uh, considering that they were, you know, NPL caliber quality. And they raced away with a division two title. Like it, they had um, T-Boy Kamara, for instance, like the young, who was still at that point the youngest player to ever play in the A-League. He played, mm. came back to WA, played a season in the NPL, and then he ended up at Guelph, Croatia in State League Division 2. They had guys in their team who were like, you know, some of the best players in the NPL. I think Gavin Knight, who was a former gold medal winner, uh, was in that Guelph team. They had the year before that, when they were still a Sunday League team, they'd had Stephen McGarry fresh from retirement from Perth Glory. They were, you know, they were a, an elite team because they, you know, they had gone out and obviously offered a, a decent amount of coin to all these NPL caliber players. So I'd be interested as to, uh, you know, the makeup of that Modbury team. Maybe they are just a, you know, run of the mill team, but maybe some South Australian viewers or commenters mm. can shed any more light. But uh, yeah, I don't think, uh, you know, it is, you know, I'm sure Armadale weren't going into that game expecting to win 5-2 or to lose 5-2 rather but you know it was uh i maybe armadale aren't you know like the best team in uh they're a very solid mid-table NPLW. a team i have every now and then had good cup runs uh we i've seen you know a lot of the time with the cup over the last few years it's very rarely been the team's you know, at the top of the table that seem to have deep cup runs. So I don't know if that says something more about the way that uh, MPLWA teams treat the cup. But, yeah, um, it, like I said, uh, interested to hear uh, whether some South Australian teams can talk about how strong the, uh, yeah, that Modbury team was because there's a, there's a chance they could have just assembled an all-star team to, you know, in an attempt to get promoted. Well, you're speculating about the uh, the makeup of this Modbury team. I do just want to bring up one element, or rather two elements, of their starting eleven, because I left it off my sort of list of cool and quirky things that uh, you know emerged out of the uh, the first match day of of Australia Cup, and that was that two identical twins were playing for Modbury, which 
not well, not the first set of brothers to play in the Australia Cup. May well be the first set of identical twins ever to play in the Australia Cup national rounds. That's Hamish and Liam McCabe, who not only both scored, but I'm pretty sure, like I said, they're identical twins. So I'm not sure who assisted who for the goal, but there was one sequence where the McCabe twins set up one another for a goal, if that makes sense. But as I said, identical twins, not 100% sure who was the assister and who was the scorer. But again, that's just another element to add into yeah, what was a, a really good return for the Australia Cup in, in the format that, uh, that we know and love it as. Look, just in terms of um, sort of some of the things I took out from this week, I mean, Lockie, we, we see Oakley, Avondale and Bentley Green weekly down here. And I mean, their wins didn't really come as a surprise, I think, at all, given the opposition they came up against. I think Oakley, um, considering the outs, it could have been a bit of a banana skin because, you know, they had Wade Decker playing at left back uh, to really fill all those defensive absences they had with no Hamish Miller, no Oscar Dillon, no Jacob Eliopoulos, but they just got the job done, a professional 5-0 win on the road for them. Uh, when you see guys like Joe Guest and Chris Lucas, Daniel Clark hitting the score sheet, just goes to show how strong they are. I mean, Avondale haven't been great in the league this year. You know, they've had a lot of injuries, which has, you know, hampered um, their push for a top two finish, and they find themselves in that log jam for a, a top six spot. I mean, they got the job done as they should have. Liam Boland, three goals. Listen, Diaz, two. Um, special shout-out for Avondale, by the way. Uh, congratulations to Joey Katabian, who got engaged today. Just saw that uh, on Instagram story just literally only seconds ago. Shout-out to him, obviously, Avondale player, and uh, to his partner for getting engaged. So just a, a special shout-out from the TNC crew to him. Congratulations. Um, obviously, Avondale, Lockie, will throw in about what's coming up this week with Avondale when we get towards the end of the show. Um, and as well with Bentley Greens, Lockie, I mean, you spoke about Zach Bowling. Uh, talk about putting your name up in lights. I mean, eight, a 19-year-old kid, backup goalkeeper, gets his opportunity when Ben McNamara gets hurt, who's the, the Broadmeadow number one, and puts in the performance of a lifetime. And there would have been a lot of, you know, A-League men scouts that would have been watching this game who, you know, we know that... There's always an opportunity for potentially a young goalkeeper and he put his name up and I think that was sort of the great advertisement of what makes this cup great, that players can take these opportunities on a national stage and put their best foot forward to potentially, you know, land the opportunity of a lifetime. And I think for Zach in particular, he's done himself no harm considering the fact that they ended up losing, but it looked like for a long time this game was going to go to penalties despite Bentley just peppering and peppering and peppering the goals. And, um, in the end, it was a deserved win. But Zach Bowling certainly man of the match. He was absolutely sensational. So I think that he could be another one that maybe could use the Australia Cup as a bit of a springboard for him and his potential career stocks. Because as goalkeepers, we know he's got like a good 20, 22 years left in his career. Yeah. And, and to tail back to our earlier chats about, you know, about the European tours, that kind of thing. One of the things that a lot of people often clamour over with those is the chance, as we have seen in the past, for younger players from the A-League men's to put themselves in a shop window to a European club by putting in an impressive performance. And I think there's a case to be made that, obviously, economies of scale and everything, but we see that in the same extent when we go from that transition from the A-League men's down to the NPL in the Australia Cup. And I absolutely agree with you, Nick. Uh, people at an A-League men's level will more 
more than likely be talking about Zach Bowling after that performance. As you said, he, he I think it was 14 saves in total in the end. Uh, I, I think Australia, the Australia Cup account tweeted that, and I wasn't. I wasn't keeping count while I was on the Twitter space, unfortunately. That was Nick's job. But he, he made 14 saves and he didn't start the game. He came on mm. as an injury sub. It is quite remarkable. Quite, quite remarkable. Um, and yeah, as you said, he's got himself potentially a chance to um, be followed by a scout or an interested agent or something like that all because of this one stunning 90-minute performance. And, yeah, it could have gone to penalties, but the fact that it even went to extra time is completely as a result of this young keeper who, without the chance circumstance of this matchup against Bentley, but then the chance circumstance of the starting keeper being injured, we wouldn't even be be talking about. Mm. And that's fantastic. Well, lucky. Lockie, let's um let's move ahead and have a look at what's coming up on Wednesday. So if you're listening to the pod and you've already heard the results, we apologize for listening to this later in the week, but obviously this being recorded Spoiler on a Sunday alert. night. Um, you know, for, well, I mean, for some fans, they might consume TNC differently. They might consume it later in the week. But best is to get it hot off the press. Best is to be listening down, getting your comments in. So um, before we get to those games, Stevens uh, come through and obviously said, you know, we're still happy to attend the Bonnie Rig game on Wednesday, but more excited to go to Wollongong United on Wednesday, though, obviously they play Green Gully. Uh, Wollongong United, a six-tier New South Wales side, so that's a great story in its own right and taking on um, Green Gully, obviously one of the top sides here in Victoria. That's one of the four fixtures along with Adelaide City versus Logan Lightning, Brisbane City versus Cockburn City, and Heidelberg versus Brisbane Raw. Uh, ben, let's let's Co- start with Co- Brisbane Nick, City. Sorry, uh, Ben, I don't want to start with Co- Co- yeah, Lucky Sorry. Nick, sorry. Nick, I, just, uh, did a, Nick just did a Tara rush to everyone. I've done I, I've <laughs> I've made a big a big mistake. Ben, tell us about Coburn, you know, Coburn City. Um going up to, to Brisbane. Obviously, the second of the two WA sides uh, without no Perth glory being knocked out in the playoffs. Um, tell us a little bit about Coburn City. Do you see them as a chance of going through in this game? Um, how have they fared this year for those who don't know much about, I guess, the WA uh, you know, sort of team and also how their, their prospects this year? Yeah, it's going to be pretty tough for Coburn, I believe. Uh, they did actually just triumph over Armadale. This afternoon uh, in the in the state cup final, thanks to a last minute penalty, which is uh, uh, was if anyone saw me make a weird face on the stream, first of all, no, you didn't. Secondly, it was because I watched a uh, I watched a, the final moments of a game where the uh, Armadale keeper collected the ball, and uh, in doing so, actually took out a Coburn player, and the referees pointed to the spot. It was very. Uh, Dramatic. So the the uh, uh, Australian Austra- the WA Australia Cup final was decided by uh, you know a, la- a late minute penalty to I believe it was Danny Robinson who uh, tucked it home. Uh, he's you know one of our best players. He actually used to play at Melville City uh, with me. He was obviously a lot more talented than me, and then very quickly ended up on the books of uh, an NPL club. I think he's been at Coburn quite consistently. Uh, for for a while, and he is, uh, you know, he he is a very talented player. He'll probably be one to watch. Jesse uh, Lazaro as well, or Lazaro. I'm not sure how you pronounce it, but uh, you know, he's a he's been there for a long time. He's um, 
believe his mom is president or she his mom used to be president. I don't know if she still is, but he's a you know big Coburn clubman, uh, played a lot of his junior football there, I believe. And you know, he's a good player to watch. Uh, but I, without knowing how uh, you know Brisbane City are going, I think they Coburn are going to find it very tough. They are, and let me just pull up the ladder, uh, they are 10th out of 12th in the uh, in the NPL uh, WA ladder at the moment, or NPL men's WA ladder, I should say. Uh, they are, you know, the good news is they're 12 points clear of 11th place well up Croatia, uh, but they are very much at the bottom of the pile of the, uh, of the rest of the pack. Uh, so... You know, they're not a bad team. I think the MPL men's here in WA this year has been really even uh, across the board. And, you know, there's only four points separating them from Armada, who are in seventh. So, uh, you know, they're not a bad team. But, you know, I've, Brisbane City, I believe, are one of the, you know, the stronger teams in uh, in Queensland. So uh, it's going to be going to be really tough for Coburn. Well, Brisbane City as well, just having a look at their form, guys. I mean, they haven't necessarily had the greatest year over in Queensland. They're actually fourth last. So it's going to be a bit of an interesting watch because it's not like both teams are necessarily, you know, uh, setting the world alight in their local leagues. But I think that's certainly, I reckon it's a bit of a 50-50 game. Not, Not having seen Brisbane City or Coburn play this year, but more looking from a you know, if you're going to compare the tables and, and everything like that, I think certainly that could be a game to keep an eye on. Um, let's have it, Lockie. I, w- I want to ask you because obviously we're going to be at this game on Wednesday night, and it is ostensibly the game of the night and probably the game of the week. So, actually, our two games as well on Saturday, which we'll talk about in just a sec. But Heidelberg versus Brisbane Raw. Now, Heidelberg won 5 1 today against Dandy City. Um, we know Dandy City are, you know, a second last team here in NPL Victoria. Heidelberg have been in some ripping form. Um, is this? We, we spoke about the cup set of oh, cup sets. Oh, I can't even get the word out. Cup, cup set ometer on uh, last week. Is your cup now? Set say Coburn. Nick. Coburn. Uh, <laughs> in, in terms of where, in terms of where this sits on the cup set ometer. Is your cup setometer potentially, you know, leaning towards that we could see the p- potential for one of those cup sets this week? Can you see Heidelberg, you know, potentially upsetting the apple cart and knocking off Brisbane Royal Olympic Village? Because, I mean, they have done it before at the Village. I mean, they knocked off Perth about five years ago. Mm. Good question. I, I think that the cup, the cup setometer is, is skewing in favour of, you know, it's it's in the... Not guaranteed cup set, but it's in cup set potential. You know, it's it's in like the like sec the second third of the sort of the cup set ometer cup set ometer dial. Because I mean, a lot of it for me depends on what kind of crowd we see at uh, Olympic Village. Because thinking back to that 2016 game against Perth Glory, it was a really really significant and noisy crowd. On the night, Heidelberg claimed that there was uh, 11,000 people there, or maybe that was the Melbourne City one. I'm not buying that, but I do still think they can pull in a good crowd. And if that is enough to unsettle a Brisbane side who are, as we've mentioned, very early into the preseason, still trying to work out, I mean, A, actually finalise the squad that they've got to hand, but also work out how the pieces that they have brought in all mesh together which of the young players are going to be the ones who feature in a more permanent way this senior season. There's a lot of things for them still to iron out. And the other thing that I think, even though they had a really poor 
start to this season, Heidelberg. They have been in a fantastic run pretty much all the way through from the back half of the season. There's only been a few games in which they probably haven't been as pleased at a 4-0 loss to Port Melbourne a few weeks ago. Probably the only the blot on their copy book, but even then, Port, uh, you know, third-place side in here in Victoria. The good thing for them, something that I think will really stand them well in this game, is the amount of players that have, like, that A-League credential. They've got that sort of low-level, A-League men's level NRI that give them that inside track of how you stack up against a side like that. You're talking about Kane Shepard, for example, who some would say that is maybe someone who could crack back into that A-League setup with the year that he's having. I would say that he's almost the ultimate national second division striker. You've got Ivan Franic, a former soccer, a former Brisbane Raw player coming into this game. He'll absolutely, you can bet, will be as fired up for this fixture as he would any other, uh, Adrian Zara as well, uh, Perth Glory, Melbourne Hart, uh, recipient of the worst tackle of all time in world football. Um, but yeah, th- there's plenty of those sort of um, A-League MRI elements to feed into this game. And even if it doesn't produce the cup set, uh, I still think it is going to be <clears throat> going to be a great night. And I really do hope that there is plenty of coverage of it and i just hope that there's a lot more we start to see a tiny bit more coverage from the the, the key outlets about these sort of games the, the hope is that because there's an a-league club involved unlike the fixtures we've we've seen already that have almost haven't really broken through anywhere outside of our own little bubble of soccer um that was with two k's just to be clear um so Hopefully, hard. an A League fixture might be the chance for us to to break out of that, especially if Heidelberg get an upset win. Well, I've got those figures, Lockie, that you were you were uh, hearkening to in regards to Heidelberg's crowds. So against Perth Glory, they had two thousand eight hundred and eleven, which at Olympic Village is a sensational turnout, and it was a great mm. atmosphere that night. But yes, according to uh, Heidelberg in twenty fifteen. They had 11,372 in that game against Melbourne City, who famously Heidelberg signed Costas Katsaranis on a one-game deal to play that one game. And Melbourne City, um, Aaron Moy scored a hat-trick that game. Bruno Fornaroli scored twice. I remember that game vividly um, as, you know, just this whole thing about Katsaranis playing and could there be an upset. Then Fornaroli scored inside the first five minutes and any hope of any sort of cup set went out at the window. But... Um, I actually I actually think Heidelberg could do the upset this week, Lockie. There's a bit of a, you know, you just got a funny feeling about something. This is just pure vibes. Um, and having watched Heidelberg recently in MPL, I mean, they're in the midst of a season. This is one thing to remember. I know Brisbane have played two friendlies against sides that obviously are, you know, they're obviously playing in the midst of their preseason coming up against Premier League opposition. But Heidelberg have been in action for five months. And that has to count for something. And you mentioned the likes of Kane Shepard, Ivan Franjic. I mean, they've got Adrian Zara, the Petrados brothers that they signed uh, in the mid-season in Costa and Maki as well, who do have A-League men's experience. They're, they do have a quality side. And I think that even going into the end of this NPL season, they can actually probably cause more upsets. I think they could be one of the teams who could potentially upset South Melbourne in the, in the latter stages of our yeah. own local competition. But... I think in terms of that, that's one of the games I'm certainly looking forward to. But even before the next episode of TNC comes out, there's a total of, uh, my maths is correct, 
here. Five more A-League men's sides going to be in action before then. Like we've got MacArthur mm. going up to take on the Magpie Crusaders up in, in the Wit Sundays, which I think is one of the great away days. We've got Newcastle playing Adelaide and we have Sydney FC playing the Mariners. So we're going to start to see, you know, the early constructs of what these teams are going to put out, I guess, on the park this season, Lockie. Yeah, can I, can I just say as well, the other thing that I think works in Heidelberg's favour, for those of you who aren't au fait with the NPL Victoria, which hopefully uh, is, is quite a lot of you, as well as a significant portion who are familiar with Victorian football, uh, the best NPL competition in, uh, in the country. Anyway, moving swiftly along. Uh, for those of you who don't know Heidelberg, they are a rough and tumble team. Like they are a physical, compact unit who want to create... Like, imagine, like, a Mourinho if he had an NPL team. Like, this is George Katsakis with Heidelberg. Like, they are, a, they, they are a rough side. They will be as physical as anything, trying to unsettle these, you know, players who they will see as, you know, prissy professionals who like to play it around Warren Moonball on the deck. They are going to try and unsettle those types of people as much as they can possibly can. If it's time-wasting, you know, full-on shoulder challenges, back chat, everything they can do to try and influence the result in this game. And I mean this with the absolute most respect to what Heidelberg have been able to achieve over the years. They will do it. They are a team that are committed to winning. They are serial winners in Victoria. And I will not be shocked if they pull out everything they can to try and get a result in this game because it would be a statement. Just uh, quickly before you completely move on there, Lockie, from the Heidelberg chat, uh, I'm looking forward to seeing Milan Roberts, a Canadian international, uh, one-time or two-time Canadian international, going ahead and Aiden Fetahagic putting challenges into Charlie Austin at the Olympic Village and seeing the sort of reception Charlie Austin gets. If I hope he plays and I hope he gets a good Porsche, I hope he starts the game as well, going up against the rough and tumble of um, of the, the Heidelberg defense. But there's a lot of like, I mean, some of these players from Brisbane will be quite familiar with the MPL Victoria constructs, one in particular, Henry Hoare, who spent some time down here at South Melbourne. So looking forward to seeing how that all plays out. Before we completely move on from the Australia Cup topics, guys, just going to more of obviously the A-League sides that are going to be playing this week. Obviously, we're going to see some of the new faces being rolled out, some new teams, some new coaching philosophies with Dwight York's first competitive game coming up in Mackay up against, as we said, the best name, the Magpie Crusade with Sunday United. Um what yeah, but, 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 Mackay with Sunday Magpies Sunday's Crusaders. Right. If you're going to use the best name in Australian football, you got to use it correctly. Sorry, Lockie. That's Anyways, uh, in terms of any of those sides, are you guys looking forward to seeing over the next little bit? Or are there any teams that you're intrigued to see roll out for the first time, whether it be new players, new systems? What are you guys looking forward to seeing in the next week or so? I think Newcastle... Uh, will be interesting, especially uh, you know Brandon O'Neill uh, came out in a uh, in a pre- in an interview recently and said he was enjoy already enjoying his football a lot more this season than he did all of last season, and uh, basically took a few uh, you know whether they're intentional or intentional or not, I don't know, but there were some side swipes at Perth there, and uh, you know I'm I'm as someone who thought Brandon O'Neill was pretty pretty poor for Perth Glory last year and didn't exactly establish himself as being better than you know Perth Glory from an on-field perspective 
how he fits into Arthur Pappas's uh, box office jets is going to be very, I know I sound like Ante here, but it's going to be uh, interesting because I'm not a, you know, I thought O'Neill was pretty poor last year. I don't think he really adds much to Newcastle apart from ball retention and, you know, uh, especially, you know, he's not going to replace, uh, you know, Daniel Pena's impact on the field. Uh, you know, they're obviously very, uh, you know, vastly different players, but, you know, putting O'Neill, yeah, putting O'Neill in is not going to make Newcastle stronger with, you know, considering how important Pena was to them last season. So I'm interested to see how Act 2 of the box office Jets goes. Will the sequel be better than the original? Uh, you know, it's uh, apologies to, uh, you know, I, I'm probably banned from podcast now for using an AFL reference. Football Australia are going to come and drag me off for daring to uh, to invoke uh, those immortal words. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, I'm very curious to see how Newcastle go under Pappas and how not just how Newcastle go, but how other teams react to Newcastle with a full season of tape on them, how they, uh, you know, line up against them, do they play a lot more, you know, uh, you know, low blocks, do they just try and, you know, dare Newcastle to play through them when they're sitting a bit deeper than usual. Uh, it's going to be interesting, especially Adelaide, who, you know, did press, you know, in early phases of possession quite a lot last season. So, uh, you know, I don't think, I've, I don't think, uh, you know, we'll get a lot of answers from what is effectively, you know, best the clubs are still in pre-season mode. But uh, I'll, I'll be interested to see what, you know, if if there are some, I guess, tactical talking points to come out of that Adelaide and Newcastle game. Lockie? Uh, I mean, I think the boring, you know, captain obvious answer is Western United against Melbourne Victory. I mean, a local derby, the A-League, like the semi-final matchup, the A-League sure. champions against the FFA Cup champions. Like there's a lot of good stuff to make that exciting, but that's kind of the obvious thing. I'll tell you what. I'll tell you what does really fascinate me because we're talking about Heidelberg United and Brisbane Raw being this cup set potential extraordinaire. The cup setometer is pinging, is pinging at the site of Devonport City against the Wellington Phoenix. And I'm going to admit very openly to not knowing an awful lot about how Devonport City have gone in their NPL TAS campaign this season, other than know that they have been uh, historically a team that, you know, make it into the national rounds of this competition but just in a sort of sixth sense way there is just something about wellington who are from new zealand having to come not to the mainland but to tasmania to play this ffa cup uh, australia cup fixture with their history for getting bundled out of this competition there's just something about it that makes me think cup set and having said that, I'm looking forward to Wellington's 5-0 commanding win over Devonport City on Wednesday the 3rd of August. Well, the main reason why I didn't mention those two games, Lockie, is because they are the following week. But I'm, I'm glad uh, yeah. that you did mention it because the, the Devonport-Wellington game in particular is interesting. So it's like to game in Tassie against a team that if anyone's going to be most acclimatized to go into Tassie on a midweek at night, it's going to be the team from the other coldest region from any of the yeah. sides that these teams can go for. It's going to be the team from New Zealand. Uh, so I'm going okay. to be excited. Well, I'm actually excited for that too. 
Yes, well, just to appease my uh, overlord, uh, Nick DeBarno, because I recognize I'm on an injury replacement contract and I don't want to bite the hand that for one game is feeding me. Uh, it has to be Illawarra Premier League side, Wollongong United, coming up against Green sure. Valley. Uh, I mean, it, yeah. it, I wouldn't be surprised to see that game end similarly to the Mindel Aces Cinderella story up against Avondale. But hey, a good time will still be had by probably all. So, you know, Green Gully maybe go through or most likely go through. Wollongong have a great crowd. Can't believe they've made it this far anyway. No one loses there. To be honest, I'm actually excited to see MacArthur. I can't believe I'm saying this, but I just want to see what Dwight York Ball looks like. I mean, you know, Lockie spoke about he's got the worst record of any Australian professional coach right now. Zero from once. He's got a 0% zero percent win record. I, I'm just curious to see what the system is. Like, I think it's just a sense of intrigue. Am I inspired from, by some of their signings or a lot of their signings? Not really. But do I want to see how they're going to line up? Of course I do. I just want to see what we're going to get, what we might be in store for. I know it's very early in preseason, but I kind of just want to see, you know, they're going to play a bit more progressive than what they did under Ante Milicic. They're going to try some new is, things. I just, um, I'm, there's a hint of curiosity. Is Dwight York going to be in charge of the MacArthur game because um, for, very sadly, his brother mm. passed away last week. Yeah, that's week. a good question. Um, uh, I've, I haven't seen anything to suggest, uh, you know, I haven't seen anything to su- suggest either way that he will or won't mm. be taking the reins. Um, obviously, you know, that's very tragic and I don't think anyone, you know, no one should begrudge him if he, you know, does travel back to, uh, you know, to uh farewell you know his brother at the funeral but that's uh, you know that's obviously very sad and uh yeah i i do agree on the you know if he does end up staying and taking the reins uh but yeah i'm very intrigued as to how he sets his team up as well yeah i think either way if he's there or not and again we pass on our, all our deepest thoughts to the york family um i think that the, the the setup will be rather similar because you'd think that the, the, the coaching philosophy won't just be a Dwight York thing. It'll be something that would be teached throughout Russell Lat- Latipi, obviously a f- another, um, you know, former Trinidad and Tobago international who was coached Barbados and coached at, you know, for the Trinidad and Tobago national team as well. And also James Meredith, who's also been implemented as one of the new assistant coaches. You'd think that the system will be quite similar. So I think either way, seeing how MacArthur put out their, what, what their best 11 is for this game, what sort of formation they play, what sort of brand of football. Again, they are playing against an NPL team from Queensland and it is it could change depending on, you know, how much of the ball they're going to have in this game compared to how much of the ball they're going to have against A-League men's opposition. But based off a lot of their signings, I mean... A lot of their signings, as we said, they're not very inspirational signings that make you go, oh, my God, I want to watch MacArthur ball. You know, I, I want to mm. watch York ball this season because, you know, when you look at guys like Jerry Skatardis, Ivan Vujica, Matthew Miller, uh, Jonathan Asprodomides, Kieran Backus, Anthony Carter, none of them really leap off the page per se. The guys that actually probably have the most quote-unquote source are the players that actually already had on the books who maybe weren't utilised for their potential. Guys like, you know, Danny De Silva, Ulysses Davila, Craig Noon, those sort of players are probably the most, you know, sort of quote-unquote exciting players to watch. So um, it'll be interesting to see, but I think we can maybe only get slot like small little iotas of it, maybe not the full picture until they play an A-League men's side until they're actually coming up against those teams down the track or in the next round, should they progress. 
and everything like that. Um, let's move on from the Australia Cup, guys, because we are hitting the, the two-hour mark. And we know when we hit the two-hour mark, that's when we hit basically like the red time in, in Channel 10, like five-minute warning sort of areas. And uh, uh, that's I'm getting Woody reference cancelled by Football Australia. <laughs> you can't do that anymore. I'm Apologies. getting paid by the... I'm getting paid by the second for tonight's appearance, right? Yeah, no, no, you are, you are, you know, a couple cents okay. per second. So, you know, that's I think good. that's, yeah, that's yeah. what we're looking at. Yeah, when we get the two-minute warning, it becomes <laughs> two cents an hour, so uh, two cents a second. So that's when it starts to get a bit more expensive. Uh, anyways, guys, um, let's move on to the next topic. Aaron Moy signing for Celtic last week. We've sp- we'd spoken about for the last few weeks about potential landing spots. And Aaron Moy linking up with Ange Postacoglu. It's a bit of a romantic kind of, you know, link up. And Aaron Moy actually debuted, I believe, last night for Celtic in a friendly Um and I think I saw a couple of tweets that some Celtic fans were a bit on the fence about his debut. Lockie, you being one of our, basically the resident, you know, you know, viewer of Scottish football more than most of us, I Fibber guess. Fitbar expert, Lockie yes, Flanagan. Our, our, our fit, our fit That's quite expert. good, man. Nice work. Yeah. Nice. Uh, Lockie, in terms of, first of all, the move to Celtic, in terms of it being a proper fit, but also, have you seen much of the reception surrounding his debut? And what, I guess, some of your first thoughts around it? Okay. Well, I have to start with the 15-minute cameo off the bench last night in the Celtic Friendly. I have seen the reaction. Uh, I have seen the vitriol that a lot of Celtic fans have met that 15-minute cameo um, from Aaron Moy with. And to be honest, I discarded instantly, straight away, because, you know, the, the Australian football ex-Fitba thing, the relationship is coming full circle because Celtic fans were freaking out about Ange Postacoglu as well. And look how that's worked out for them. Like, let's put this into context. Aaron Moy has not played competitive football other than for the Socceroos, for a club side, for ages, for ages. This man is gassed. He has not been in this environment for such a long time. He's only just signed on the dotted line with the club. And he was pretty much being brought on by Ange for 15 minutes, just pretty much. You know how when Barcelona bring in new signings and they debut them at the Camp Nou and they do like all their like juggling maneuvers and stuff in front of a bunch of fans. That's basically what this 15-minute substitute appearance was. For Aaron Moy to walk around, ping a few long passes and wave. If he looked gassed, that's because he is. And he's not going to look like that when he actually plays. Uh, This is just the kind of reactionary behavior that is very normal for Celtic fans. I've become very used to it as a supporter of a team outside the big two in Scotland. And it wouldn't shock me even though I know, particularly in this podcast, the jury on Aaron Moy's quality as a footballer remains out at this stage. Um, I wouldn't be surprised that, as was the case with Ange, in three, four months' time, these same people who are freaking out about Aaron Moy's shocker 15-minute sub-performance in a friendly are going to be singing a very, very different tune. Uh, as for the fit into the team... Yeah, fascinating. It's it's interesting. I think a lot of it lies in who compliments Aaron Moy in the side because yeah, Ange Ball is is depending on where you play throughout the system, pretty physically demanding. 
uh, unlike some of the hosts of this podcast that we've seen today, you have to have quite a lot of ticker to perform some of the things that Ange is asking of you. Now, I would put it to you that Aaron Moy is not necessarily someone who has those qualities. He does have plenty of other abilities that might be useful for an Ange side. His ability to distribute, to play in uh, players in wide areas, particularly who we know can do a lot of damage for Celtic, that will be a real asset. But that skill with his passing range is going to come with the trade-off of his decreased physical attributes and physical capacity. So who goes alongside him, whether he even is a consistent week-in, week-out starter, I think is still an open question too. Uh, But who goes alongside him is a big question. And let's be honest, that wasn't entirely dissimilar to to Tom Rogic as well, even if he didn't play in an advanced position. Not always the most physically capable, but delicious with his technical ability. So who gets paired with Aaron Moy, I think will go a long, a long way to deciding how significant of an impact that he has on, on Scottish football. And I think a lot of people, like my concern is, as Lockie says, you know, Moy isn't the, uh, you know, his physical, you know, anaerobic capacity is, you know, has diminished since his time at Melbourne City. I remember him at Melbourne City. He did used to be a bit of a box-to-box player, who had a bit of explosiveness to him. Uh, but, yeah, for the last two, three years, I think I've really known, especially for the soccer, is he is quite a slow, you know, ponderous player. He doesn't like to be rushed. Um, not sure his decision-making is at times the quickest. Um, you know, he looks most comfortable when he does have time on the ball. Um, you know, his passing has always been good if maybe his awareness and decision-making has deteriorated over the last couple of years. So, yeah, I, I think it's going to be an interesting experiment. Uh, it looks very much like, you know, as a, you know, as a free agent addition from it to Celtic, I'm sure, you know, he, you know, he, they didn't pay, have to pay a transfer fee for him. Like if they get something out of him, you know, he's already, you know, there's already, a, get, they're already getting a bit of value out of that. Um, and like you say, you know, it's a 15 minutes in a preseason friendly um, after he has not really had any competitive action in a long time, sans for soccer as well, cup yeah. qualifiers. It makes, it, you know, like you say, like you just Celtic fans overreacting. It's preseason yeah. for goodness sake. It, it means nothing. It's Celtic neurosis. Like these are the kind of things you concern yourself with when you have been a dominant force in your local competition for as many years as Celtic have. Like when you only have to worry about Rangers and that's your biggest problem, you just find other things to worry about. And a 15-minute substitute appearance, it is exactly the kind of thing that, that Celtic fans will uh, nitpick over. I think the the big thing is here that, as you mentioned, Aaron Boy is not the same player he was. And I think that's just one thing that people struggle to sometimes comprehend. And maybe he could with some, you know, getting himself back up to conditioning and, you know, a bit of consistent football, maybe he can rediscover elements of that. And I'm not going to doubt that for a second because I still think there are a lot of qualities to Aaron Boy, which make him a very capable player, which we saw when he was at Huddersfield, when he was at Brighton and at Melbourne City, that, you know, that made him the player that he was at that time. But these last two, two, three years have seen him regress and it's obviously for many different factors. And as we mentioned, he's barely played for, you know, in Shanghai. His only minutes were in this for the Socceroos. And also the fit and how he was played in the Socceroos was not really conducive to to him and also the way the Socceroos wanted to play. So him going to Celtic, I think the jury is still out. I think, like as you mentioned, it mentions how he's, it, it, really a lot of it depends on how he's utilized. A lot of it depends on who he's partnered with. 
And I guess as well, in a flat three, is he going to play as a six? Is he going to play as an eight? Is he going to play a bit closer to goal? How does Ange envisage that? But obviously, Ange sees still something in him that makes him, you know, a, a bit of a high-risk, high-reward kind of signing. And I think that's one thing that Aaron Moy is. There's a lot of risk in bringing in a player like him and, and putting him in, you know, the mixer of a player who hasn't played much football. But if he can rediscover elements of what made him so special, there could be some high reward at the end of it. And I spoke about it weeks ago when there was, you know, you know, sort of mentions and murmurs about him being a fit in Italy and him being a player in a more progressive sort of side. He can be utilized well in a progressive side, but is he the sort of player that you want when you want to, you know, play a high octane brand of football? Is he right now, Aaron Moy, 2022 Aaron Moy, the player that's going to, you know, potentially take you to that next level? Does he fit in that sort of system? Maybe not. So I think it's going to take some time. I think that as we see him over the next few weeks, as the season does start next week, if I'm correct there, Lockie, I think it starts next weekend, the actual Scottish Premier League starts. So will he be starting from the onset? Is Ange going to ease him into it? And what sort of role is he going to have in this team? I guess there's going to be something to keep an eye on. But also remember, he's going to be playing in these sort of games in the Champions League as well. So he's going to be coming up against even better opposition than, say, week-to-week playing against teams like, you know, no disrespect to St. Mirren, no disrespect to St. Johnston, no disrespect to those lower-ranking Scottish sides. But when he Hearts. does come up against those better teams... Come on, man. We were clear I... third place. We are Europa League playoff participants. Like, put some respect... On on hearts I will cancel the export partnership with Australian footballers. I will get my yeah. club to stop signing Australians unless you treat my club with but respect. I guess, I guess you know, just to, to tail off this conversation about Moy is that we don't know what we're going to get from him, but I think we have to give it a bit of time before we can completely make a definitive conclusion. But I think there is every reason to maybe have some qualms, but at the same time, maybe have some optimism because remember, Ange did work, uh, has worked with him before. Obviously, there was the whole conundrum with how to use Moy and Rogic in the same team. Um, you know, now he's got the opportunity to just use Aaron Moy, but I think a lot of it comes down to utilization. A lot of it depends on what the best version of Aaron Moy is going to be in a certain period of time once he get him, gets himself these minutes under the belt and getting his fitness up to scratch, Lockie. Uh, great point as well. Just just reading through the uh, the live comments as well. From Geraldo, and I, I realize that Ben has also just sent us a message privately uh, about this one. Um yeah, there's this slightly younger guy, I remember, doing well to cover for Aaron Moy in central midfield in a couple of pre-2018 uh, World Cup friendlies. Mm. Starts, with, uh, starts with M, mm, ends in Asimo Luongo. Yes, and honestly, in as much as I could enjoy a player playing for Celtic, I really, I think that would be a smash hit. I think it would be an excellent signing. Uh, but not just for Celtic, for, for anyone. Um Sign like if you're a European person and you have a connection to a decent uh, lower level English club uh, or somewhere elsewhere in Europe, please sign Massimo Longo. Hmm. Justice for well, the boy. Remember how good he was in 2015. Remember how good he was even after that. The guy is a is still a baller. So I hope that we could see him, you know, land somewhere and you know, at a decent level as well and get some consistent football in again because I still think that at his best, he's certainly in the Socceroos squad. I mean, he's certainly good enough. So I guess we'll just have to wait and see what happens with that. Um, before we completely move on from players making the move to Scotland, we also had uh, Ryan McGowan, I believe. Or was it, was it Ryan McGowan who made the move? Lockie, uh, yeah. make the move as well. Yeah, yeah. Scotland Dylan's continuing. already over there. 
Yeah, I was thought so. Continuing the trend of Australian players making the move to Scotland, I guess just thoughts on that move? Uh, well, disappointing for me in the sense that Ryan McGowan was actually co-host of a very popular Hearts podcast called Scars Around the Funnel. And unfortunately, I believe that his signing for St. Johnston uh, will mean that he will no longer be a member of the podcast. And that's a shame because I thought he was good value. Um, but yeah, look, St. Johnston... Uh, uh, but I don't know. I guess I guess Ryan McGowan is familiar with the environment. Like he's clearly got an affinity for Scotland, the family connection, all that sort of thing. But St Johnston are not a team who I rate particularly highly. I think they will have a, a very difficult season this year, and I, I wonder how long term of a move this is going to be for him. But hey. Any time an Australian player is uh, Scot in Scotland, even if they're a returnee, uh, no complaints from me. Fair uh, the, can I just say, though, because you might also ask about him too, uh, the one that does interest me is obviously Mark Birikitty going to, to Dundee. Yes, yes. The, the reason on. for this is not only what it does on a goalkeeping front for Central Coast, but last season the Dundee United first choice was Benjamin Segrist who I thought was really, really good in the games that I saw him play for Dundee United. So good. And I was kind of surprised because I was like, oh, well, does that mean that Beers is going to be a second fiddle? But in fact, Benjamin Seagriff was so good across his years for Dundee that Celtic have signed him, uh, presumably as their backup keeper to Joe Hart. So there is that space available for Mark Birigidi to potentially come in and hit the ground running. But he will have big shoes to fill because, as I said, uh, Benjamin Segrist was really, really impressive every time I saw him. So I am fascinated to see how that move is going to work out for Beerus. But I don't think anyone could deny that he absolutely deserves that chance. Ben? Uh, Benjamin Segrist, great name. Just great name. <laughs> Sensational name. Sensational, but also like it's good to see that we're getting Mark. We're well, seeing Mark Birgitti now actually make that move over to Dundee United. I think it's a good move for his career prospects. Uh, opens up the door for as we spoke about last week, some like Yaron Sosa down at the Mariners or signing someone else. Um, completely brand new over Central Coast. Uh, we actually had some questions come through in regards to uh, some young goalkeepers out on loan in the A-League, which we'll get to in just a moment as well. But first of all, let's talk about some A-League transfers. Uh, we saw today Elvis Cam Sober uh, making the move abroad for a transfer fee. And whenever there's a transfer fee involved, it's always a big, big tick in the in the books of you know TNC. Um, he's made the move over to Sef Sepahan, I believe that's how you pronounce it, over in Iran. Uh, it's a six-figure sum for him to head over as well. So Elvis Kemsoba cashing in after a pretty decent season at Sydney FC uh, last season and heading overseas. Uh, I guess thoughts on this move, guys? It was for a transfer fee, so that's good. Uh, yeah. yeah, it seemed to come out of nowhere, didn't it? it uh, I first heard about, but it was a rumor on Friday, and then Saturday uh, it happened. So a six six figure transfer fee. Uh, interesting. I'm not sure. You know, I think Campso obviously was revitalized at Sydney. He had a much more impressive season in Sydney than you know he had in his previous campaign at Melbourne Victory. So it's a uh, yeah, good move for him, I guess. Uh, I. I Personally, if I was trying to chase Elvis Camp Sober, I would have liked to have seen him do it for one more season. But you know, well done to him. It's a you know, 
exciting move for him and uh, wish him all the best. Lockie? Uh, there's not a single loser when it comes to this transfer. From an Australian football perspective, no one loses. Everybody wins. What that means for Sepahan is another matter altogether. But, hey, for the player, if you took a time machine and you took 22-year-old Lockie back to 18-year-old Lockie and said, not only is Elvis Kempsober going to go from victory to Sydney FC, uh, but he's going to command a six-figure transfer fee to a, a club in the in the Middle East. Um, I would have looked at you funny, uh, to say the least. To say the least. So the fact that Kempsober is taking what was, as you said, um, a season where he looked to get a new lease of life, Ben, uh, with Sydney FC and striking while the iron is hot from both a player and a club perspective... I do not begrudge either of them one iota. Uh, Sydney can, I think, as pleasing as his contributions were last year, I think Sydney have got enough wherewithal to replace the attributes they are losing with him and they'll have a nice, uh, cool, uh, somewhere in the region of $400,000 with which to do that. No one in Australian football loses here and if he comes back in 12 months or they'll pay, if they pay anything at all, we'll get him back for half the price. Win, 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 win. All right. All right, Coach Whisperer, calm down. But anyways, <laughs> uh, in regards to uh, this is one move, actually, question for the both of you guys, because obviously, Lockie, you know him quite well from his time at Hearts, but also making the move to Perth Glory is Aaron McInef. Um, In terms of a move, Lockie, from what you've seen from him at Hearts, and then I'll throw to you, Ben, in regards to, I guess, just a signing for Perth glory in the midfield is something that they certainly needed. Um, Lockie, starting with you, what can we expect from Aaron McInef? Well, uh, excitement. Um, he's a, a good, like speedy direct player who I expect to really stand out in, um, in the, the A-League men's this upcoming season. For, for most of my time watching him at hearts, he was used predominantly as a sort of impact sub to sort of create goal scoring chances off the bench and I must say most of the times when I did see him come off and and be involved as a sub uh, he really impressed me and I wasn't alone in that because there are actually quite a lot of Hearts fans who consistently over the course of his time uh, in the Scottish capital uh, felt as though he deserved a little bit more of a feature and more of a run in the first team than he ever actually ended up getting. I, I think without going into the nuts and bolts of it at the end of the day it was maybe a bit of a system fit. He didn't always lock in to uh, the, the plans that Robbie Nielsen had. And there was also quite a high competition for places when it comes to uh, attackers in the heart squad. But I have seen enough flashes from him to suggest that there is a serious player here and one that could do some damage if they are trusted to play week in, week out. And to that end, I think, you know, if he can convert those moments of quality I've seen from him off the bench into consistent quality because he will be a starter. Let's not make any mistake for Perth um, over the course of the season. I think it'll be really, really, really good signing. I wouldn't be surprised to see him become a baller. Uh, the other element of it is he's only 27. So he's one of two things in that kind of scenario, right? Well, maybe three things, one of them being a fraud, but I'm going to discount that possibility for the time being. Uh, the first of all, someone who is maybe using this move, to fire themselves up and, you know, prove that they can earn a move back to the higher levels of football in the world. Or there's someone who comes here, 
does really well, enjoys the lifestyle, it's a mutually beneficial arrangement, and they become one of those visa players who ends up sticking around for a number of years with consistent output, like we've seen happen with other players over the course. I mean, Mil Milos Nikovic, I guess, is an example, different kettle of fish, but the kind of thing that I'm talking about. I wouldn't be surprised to see him become the latter, someone who comes down here, hits the ground running, and enjoys what the club has given to him, uh, what the lifestyle change has given to him, that he wants to stick around. And, yeah, I, I, best of luck to him because I do think there is a player who could who could do some damage in this competition. And at 27, uh, do it for a good few years to come. Ben? I'm really excited by this signing. Uh, and it's also important to know, as Lockie says, he's 27, but he signed a three-year deal. That's pretty... That's a statement of intent, not just from the club, but uh, McEniff, that he wants to, you know, he sees himself, he sees his, his immediate and, you know, midterm future in Perth in the A-League men's. This is, uh, it's been a bit of a pattern of uh, Perth glory since Andy Kyo has started uh, as, uh, you know, head of recruitment at the club. He's trying to lock down players to longer term deals like Mustafa Amini. Um, there was a you know, youth player as well who I can't, may have been Jordana Colley signed for a couple of, couple of extra years. Um, but Kyo, by the looks of things, is really trying to actually build a squad which can compete not just next year, but you know, two years down the line. He has come in and made a pretty good impression, uh, you know, signing Mark Beavers as well, who was a you know championship uh, centre back, uh, you know, maybe even just last season and. Uh, Peterborough fans, uh, I know one Peterborough fan who said he was really good in League One a couple of years ago when they got promoted to the championship. So there's been some really promising signs uh, on the transfer front. And the fact that um, the players have been signed so early, it feels like in previous years, uh, Gloria almost playing catch up with the signings with the rest of the league. This year, it feels like they've already got a squad ready mm -hmm. to go. Uh, I know Beavers and Amini uh, are house sharing at the moment, uh, which is apparently... Uh, real odd couple type situation. Uh, but they, they're they both at um, Glory Training. They've already started pre-season. Carlos Armiento, uh, Carlo Armiento is uh, back in training. Uh, he's, you know, uh, he should give him another dimension when he's cleared to uh, return to uh, uh, to play games. Uh, and, uh, yeah, we still have Bruno Fornaroli. Uh, I think I'm, I think we're... The big uh, factor with Glory is Zadkovic. I think recruitment's been really good, but we still don't really know en enough about Ruben Zadkovic as a coach. You know, he was obviously replaced Richard Garcia. Uh, he was maybe, you know, he was, well, he was dealt a pretty horrible hand last year with all the injuries Glory had. Uh, so, yeah, it's it was really hard to take anything tangible out of his, you know, season when he can kind of point to the players he did he didn't have at his disposal uh so yeah i think zakovic is the biggest factor in how well glory do this year because it looks like for the first time in a while i'm actually excited by the squad they have assembled and the play the caliber of players they have brought mm. in well, looking at these players, I mean, Stefan Kolakowski, Matt Hatch, Keegan Yellow. Kolakowski's another one I completely yep. forgot about, but yeah, yep. uh, he'll, he'll stroll straight into that first line. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, and I, so I think he's should. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, Mustafa Ramini, Ryan Williams is the other one. Mark yeah, Davis, Ryan Williams ben, as well. Yep. The uh, Israeli Agamal. striker. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yes. I, 
Uh, not sure. I haven't seen any clips of him yet, but uh, curious how they deploy him alongside Fauna Roli. Uh, you know, I'm assuming, I, I mean, Fauna Roli obviously has his Australian citizenship now, so he doesn't count, uh, you know, uh, against the squad in that way. Uh, so, yeah, it's, it's, it's weird because for so long it feels like the glory signings, you never know what you're going to get with him. You can't, I know mm. glory fans kind of, sit and hope uh but yeah this is it's a good start to life with uh andy kyo as you know recruitment i think he's done a really good job early doors just uh some of the other big moves this week guys uh one of them in particular was wellington signing bojida Krajev, who is a 25 year old bulgarian attacking midfielder the first bulgarian to ever actually play here in the a-league men's coming from fc michelin's over in uh denmark a lot of high raps on on Krajev. Uh, a lot of people say this guy was supposed to be like, you know, the next big thing coming out of Bulgaria. He was going to, you know, reach stardom levels. He has the opportunity, I believe now, to come here and probably rejuvenate his career after a few tough seasons over at Michelin by looks of it. Didn't play much football, but he has been playing for the Bulgarian national team. 24 caps, three goals. Um, back in, I was just reading here, back in, I think this was in 2013 or 14, the Guardian actually had him as one of the 40 most promising young players in the world. So he's still 25. He's been signed on a two-year deal by Wellington. I don't know about you guys, but I'm actually quite bullish about this signing. I reckon this could actually turn to be a real diamond in the rough kind of signing. And we've seen Wellington in the past nail these kind of signings, players that come from overseas and actually turn into quite a big, big hit. So I'm, I'm excited for it. What about you guys? Yeah, uh, Petar Petrov uh, on Twitter, who um, you know follows me, and you know I've had good, very good interactions with him. I trust his judgment as a, uh, a you know as a football pundit. Uh, he he was really excited by the signing. Uh, I'm just trying to find it on Twitter, but he was uh, very surprised, taken aback that he had actually uh, joined uh, Wellington and come to the A League. But yeah, uh, Petar was. Pitar, I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing it right. Apologies, my friend. Uh, but yeah, he, like he says, a few years ago, he was arguably the most promising youngster in Bulgaria. Um, things didn't really go as expected, but if he brings his top game to the A-League, he could be a massive player for the Knicks. So, and uh, yeah, Wellington have done really well with uh, you know foreign signings in the past, obviously. U- U- Ulysses Davia and uh, Sand- Sandoval was uh, you know pretty good last season as well. So uh Hopefully it can be three for three from the Knicks. Yeah, yeah I, I mean... I, it, yeah. Sorry, go on, Lockie. It's, no, it's just... Uh, it's hard not to be excited about something like this. I mean, the CV is good. Uh, the age... I mean, 24 is great. But also, it, it's sort of um, maybe potentially similar to McKenneth in terms of, you know, Aaron McKenneth being someone who wants to prove something, what he can achieve when he's given this sort of increased scope. Well... You know, based on that description you've just provided to us, uh, Ben, I mean, Bojidar Krajev seems like he's someone who's got a point to prove as well. Can he sort of recapture that, you know, talent and reach that ceiling that people said that he was capable for? You know, this is, or capable of rather, this is a chance for him to, um, you know, pick things back up. And I think that that's only going to be a good thing for the A-League. Well, not always, but more often than not, that'll be a good thing um, for the early to have those kind of players who've got that ship on their shoulder, got a point to prove, and even if they only light it up for one season in the A League and nothing more, I think we'll still be better for it. 
Just running through some of the other signings this week, guys, before we wrap up. Uh, Cadete over to Melbourne Victory, a, a Spanish left back. Kike Lopez is the full name, but Cadete is the nickname. Uh, today, Western Sydney announced the signing of Suleiman Kerpic, a Bosnian striker who spent some time at Suwon Blue Wing, spent most of his career playing in the Bosnian First Division. Last season, scored 14 goals for Tuzla City. One cap for Bosnia. Uh, we saw as well Marco Orenia leave the Central Coast Mariners to be closer to family. I think that's a massive loss for the league. I really liked Orenia at the Mariners. He the was great. He oh, absolutely. And the partnership formed Matt Simon and then with Jason Cummings. You know, it's a massive loss for the Mariners. So uh, a big blow to lose him to the game and as well, uh, Ruin Todnik signing for Western Sydney. Um, just getting through some last-minute listener questions we have a liga coming through asking thoughts on previch rumors that he's leaving western united now alex previch has been linked with a move away before the season even ended last season there were teams in greece in panathinaikos teams in india and now legia warsaw over in poland who i believe he used to actually play for uh rumored to be in the mix for his signature reports coming out of poland that he he's fed up he wants to leave um he hasn't reported back for training yet uh, so Western United, obviously, back at training. He hasn't been one of the, the figures seen yet. Um, I don't know, guys, but I would not be surprised if we have seen the last of Alexander Prijevic at Western United and he might potentially look for a move back to Europe. Yeah, he's a he's a really good player. Um, I thought second half, it took him a bit of time to settle in at Western United, but second half of the season last year, he was really good and just really good at, you know, a strong physical presence, good at holding the ball up, you know, finding, you know, uh, you know, his teammates really started once he kind of came into a bit of form, not just from a finishing perspective, but I thought from, you know, a general build-up play, I thought he really helped him. So mm. that's a huge loss. Um, I'd love to see Noah Botic get, uh, you know, some game time at Western United, whether John Aloisi will, you know, agrees or thinks Botic is you know, good enough to be, an A-League men's player is a completely different question. But uh, if Prijevic does go, I'd love to see Bodic get a, uh, you know, first crack at replacing him. Lucky? Uh, I mean, I, I, fear, I fear you might be right about this one, Nick, but I just hope that it isn't the last of, of Alex Prijevic in the A-League. I enjoyed watching him so, so much, probably probably more than maybe any other player. That That's possibly just my own sort of, predilection towards enjoying strikers who are big men that can also play with their back to goal and have a nice touch. You know, the Olivier Giroud model, if you, you want to put it that way. Um, but I, I really enjoyed watching him last season. I think he's the kind of striker that young Australian forwards have a lot to learn from, one that we don't really have enough of. And I think more time with him in the A-League would have given us more chances to see that sort of thing. So, uh, yeah, I think you might be right. But I hope you're not because I want to see more of uh, this Serbian hitman in the Arlington Men's. Anthony uh, came through on Twitter and actually said, thoughts on Prijevic out, Dries Mertens in. Uh, guys, if Dries Mertens was the replacement... Well, it's, if that's the case... I, 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 I would not be complaining one little bit. And it's funny, like I just opened up Twitter before I went back to that comment and saw a tweet from uh, Nicolo Schira, who is one of the Italian football journalists who just said that Inter are not targeting Dries Mertens. So if Inter aren't targeting Dries Mertens, all I'm saying is there might be a chance. I don't know. With those rumors is there a possibility 
Nick, is there a possibility that we could fool Dries Mertens into thinking that he's signing for Sassuolo when, in fact, he's signing for a different green and black club and he is coming down to Victoria? Uh, look, Lockie, if uh, Western United had a stadium like the Tricolore, the, like the Mapay, then maybe. But unfortunately, Good Western point. United don't have a stadium right now, so we can't actually give them, like, a, say, a photo, unless you want to show a picture of the the, the, the artist impressions of Tarnate Stadium uh, and say it's built and then just fool him and, and pull the rug underneath him. I don't think that's very nice. Uh, so I, I don't think that's the greatest idea. But if Burton wants to come play for Western United, sure. I would be all for it. I think it would be a sensational, sensational signing. Um, before we go, guys, just one small little bit that came across that actually Joey sent through as well. Uh, Danny Townsend has been active on Twitter today uh, in regards to responding to a tweet from Shock, Sav. horror. Danny Townsend was, yes, on Twitter? No. Oh, yes. Oh, I know. For Danny Townsend. Oh, never did that. Yeah. So Danny, so Sav tweeted saying, so we're about three months, three months out from the A-League men's season. Start to wonder when exactly Paramount Plus is going to implement the most basic features like pause, rewind, play from start. It's 2022, blah, blah, blah. There's no excuse for it. So Danny responded saying, guys, we've been told all will be ready for the start of the new season. So expectations are set. Guys, it looks like we are finally getting the most basic of functions with our A-League broadcast next year. I am, I can only see it as a positive. <laughs> And then they'll uh, forget to plug in a cable and we'll get Chuba Guy again. Or just nothing from like at Wollongong back in the day, <laughs> just black screen. Uh, or the, what was it, the big hexagon? The oh, yeah. Hexagon. Oh, God. Back in the, I'm having back in the flashback. day. I'm having bad flashbacks. This is, uh, it feels like so long ago, but it also f- was very, very recent. And it's just, yeah, it's. Yeah. It's unsettling it, to when you actually go back and think about how many broadcast snafus mm. the A-Leagues have had. It's uh, not great, Bob. Not great. No, not at all. Well, guys, I think we've reached the end. We've gone well over two hours. But um, again, before we go, we always have the opportunity here on this show. Any cheap plugs, Ben? Uh, anything you want to plug before you wrap up today? Anything coming out? Anything that you've got out at the moment? Uh, the floor is yours. Uh, well, uh, for viewers in the West and even those who are, I'm sure you can get a West Australian over in Melbourne and New South Wales. I believe some you can find it somewhere. Uh, if you buy it on Tuesday, uh, there will be a Commonwealth Games guide, which I contributed to. So uh, have a read of that. Uh, yeah, no, it doesn't probably won't have much news, you know, relevant to uh, Eastern States uh viewers but just read it because it would help me out mean a lot to me uh i will have my weekly cut the bs column out on thursday and it may or may not be about the uh perth's international festival of football Uh, you just have to wait and see and uh yeah that's it um yeah give a floor to uh young boy lucky uh, well, uh, for anyone who wants to tuck into any more information about the other, you know, if you're a Wollongong United fan or a Brisbane Raw fan or you know, a Newcastle Olympic fan and you'd like to know, well, actually, Newcastle Olympic, no, because they're an A-Men's <laughs> team. But if you'd like to know anything more about uh, some of the NPL Victoria clubs who are playing in the current round of the Australia Cup or in the subsequent rounds now of the Australia Cup, well, uh, Nick and I, also do an NPL Victoria podcast where we review these clubs each week and their Australia Cup fixtures uh, so you can catch that 
on Football Nation Radio. It'll be airing Wednesday this week. Is that right? We're having the uh, the planning well, discussion right now, Nick. We're, we're going to have to we'll save that. We'll save early. that for later. No, uh, no, anyway, we're, we're one other... <laughs> Sorry, go lucky. Uh, one other plug. One other plug. And uh, it involves a week-in, week-out member of, uh, of TNT. If you didn't get enough of your Joey Lynch today, well, you've got another chance on Tuesday, because myself and Chance. Joey Lynch will be at the Valley Park Events Centre this Tuesday night, uh, calling a 2021 NPL Victoria title decider. Now, for a lot of people, that probably sounds strange. But if you remember back to earlier episodes of this podcast or, you know, earlier um, brouhars on soccer Twitter, yes, Avondale this year are not only playing for their 2022 fate in the NPL Victoria, but they are also playing to decide the previous season by games that weren't played last year, counting for double points this season. We are down to the last double point game of the year, and it could not be more important. Avondale must win this Tuesday night against Port Melbourne to take out the 2021 NPL Victoria Premier's play. If not, their court case will be in vain as Oakley will be 2021 champions. So if you want to see uh, a very important game in the present and also past NPL Victoria landscape, well, uh, you can join Joey Lynch and I uh, on NPL.tv on Tuesday night, I'm pretty sure, from 8pm. But it should be a game, a good game, uh, irrespective of uh, the legal ramifications of it all. So what you're saying, this is this is NPL Victoria days of future past. <laughs> NPL Victoria Ragnarok, yes. Yes, essentially. Um, if we're all throwing in our cheap plugs, well, tomorrow night I'll be down at Kingston Heath for Bentley Greens versus Oakley Cannons. That game was postponed from Friday, obviously due to their Australia Cup commitments. Massive game, both teams battling it out for, for finals positions. going to be a cracking contest. So either get down to Kingston Heath or just, you know, sit at home. Hopefully, uh, tune in to myself from 7.30 on NPL.tv. So there's that. Or you can go into the Herald Sun tomorrow and read my match report on Carlton versus GWS. So if you want to have your your, your footy wrap, just head over there. I'm sure it will be, I'm sure that we've got plenty of footy, footy listeners out there. But anyways, uh, Lockie, Ben, thank you so much uh, for jumping on today. Uh, really appreciate you guys coming on at short notice. And, uh, you know, again, I think that your injury replacement contract should be extended beyond the one day. I think that you guys have put forward your best cases. I'll take it back to the TNC board and uh, we'll be in contact very, very shortly. Shout out to uh, Nick's microwave as well for holding up for two and a half hours. Imagine if Nick had gone offline and me and young boy were just... Can, can forced... you imagine? Can you imagine? <laughs> have the you ever mate... seen the, S- the SNL so... skit with Will Ferrell as the weatherman where the... Uh, it's a, if you haven't seen the SNL skit of Will, Will uh, Ferrell with, as the weatherman, where the, the teleprompter breaks and they're like a morning, uh, they're like a morning TV kind of set, and the teleprompter breaks. They go to an ad. Every time I come back, they've lost, they've gone crazier and crazier. I think Will Ferrell rips off the weatherman, rips off one of his fellow anchors' head at one point because the teleprompter's gone and he's just lost all semblance of. It's a great SNL uh, skit. Uh, and yeah, that probably would have been me and Young Boy tonight had uh, Nick's it, microwave interrupted things, but it's been inmates running. Inmates running the asylum it was funny because it's not just the microwave; it's also the big TV downstairs. That when you run the TV <laughs> apps like Ko, 
uh, it will just <laughs> completely fry the internet for some reason. And when I was just about to set up, my brother got home from the Collingwood Essendon game. And what was he doing? He was watching the replay downstairs. So I said, mate, if you're going to watch the replay, you're not watching it on that TV because otherwise TNC is going to be in the absolute, like it's going to be bedlam tonight as it already is. So we can't afford to have any delays. But again, guys, thank you so much uh, for all those listening, all those dropped in their comments. Uh, thank you. We're back again next Sunday. Miss any of it. Head over to Spotify, wherever else you get your podcast. This will be up very, very shortly. And hopefully as well, be joined by many more of your favorites next Sunday as well. So for myself, Nick Tabano, Ben Smith and Lockie Flanagan, it's goodbye for now.